All right, is that straight? That's straight. Thank you so much, everybody, for being so patient while I got this third episode sorted and edited. I just want to take a second, though, to shout out a couple of brands and businesses that I use, love, and endorse. All right, so, of course, Spank Bikes, I love their gear. Liat Protective Wear, you pretty much cannot get any better than that. Bike Corp, Purity Plant Protein, Crush Oz, so obviously Crush Cleaning Products, and a massive shout out to all Mountain Sports. I can't thank Shannon and Anne enough for what they do for the community and also for myself and just helping me out. But look, on to the main show. This is the Fully Pinned Podcast, episode three with Craig Fisher. Let's go. Yeah, just bump that. Hang on. Check this fucker's pockets. You'll take all my stuff. Huh? Take what? Boy, that's a 110 flex fit. Now, if I sit here, <laughs> <Fucking eight. laughs> we've got to be a little. <laughs> okay, good. I did have another idea, too. Inspired by Jerry Seinfeld. Um, all right, here we go. Where to, where to start? Where to begin? This is the fully pinned podcast, episode three. This is the man, Craig Fisher, aka Fisher, aka Flamentum MTB. On to our guest. <laughs> my friend, thank you so much for your time. You were away for eight weeks. Yeah, How good, was good to be away. Good to be away. Good, good to, to be a, back too. It's always good, good to be back. Get into the routine. You miss a routine? Uh, I never miss routine. I don't have one. I don't plan every day, so I just yep. get up and the only routine I've got is work. Everything else, yep. I structure as it happens. Structure as it happens, yeah. except the biking. Except for biking. Except for yeah. biking. And that's, that's always routine. Whenever you can get a chance to go ride, you go ride. That, that's routine, isn't it? I think Pretty so. much. Yeah. I think so. I think yeah. that is for anyone that's on an MTB. It's like that. But if you haven't noticed, we're in somewhat of a small space. Um, we're in... He's been kind enough to have us around and have us in the bike dungeon. And pretty much every corner of... Um, this underground part of the house, it's just got like so much history in it and we're going to delve into that a little bit, which is really, really dope. But firstly, man, why, you know, how, I mean, I guess like the age of... I'm going to cut Josiah off right here. He hasn't run any of the questions by me, so if I get caught out, blame Josiah for not preparing me or telling me any of the questions. So this, what? this is pretty much a live, <laughs> non-rehearsed, I just want to throw yeah. that out there, okay? <laughs> Normally I like to know the questions before I'm asked because I've incriminated myself in the past. <laughs> it's okay. So, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know the questions coming, so bear with me. I'm not. I'm not that smart or fast when it comes to on-the-spot responses, especially with all you guys and girls watching. So the spotlight. It's on. a free space. Let's get into it. Let's yeah, well, let's get into it. It's yeah. a free space, and I think we can um, we can speak fr freely on here. Opinions are our own. I have you know mentioned that before, but man, I think you know. Someone like you on a bike, forty or so years. What what was your what, what was your first like defining moment on on a bike? Like years ago, you got on your first BMX or whatever it is your folks got you. you know, can you can you take me back to that time and like could you even see then that it was going to be something like this? Well, always like riding bikes. It was the one thing that um, I just hopped on and just enjoyed. I, I played football. As a kid, I absolutely hated it. I don't like losing um, unless it was my fault. Yeah. I don't like team sports because you put in all this effort, you go <laughs> back in Canberra, middle of winter, nine years old, ten years old, minus five degrees, and you're told to harden up. And then you lose because two of the other players didn't give a shit. They were just doing it because their mum and dad told them yeah. to. And I'm, I'm not about that. I mean, if you're going to play a sport, don't let anybody else down. Put the effort in. 
well, go away and do an individual sport. So <clears> I actually did that anyway. I went decided that I, no, I had no plans on any sport. I just did not like playing football. So I actually did equestrians. Yourself. I rode horses and did equestrians. And I, <laughs> How do I not know that? I, I didn't mind that. That was actually pretty cool. But again, I look back now and I know why I actually <laughs> went away from it because when I ride my bike, if I crash, it's because I stuffed up. I can't blame the bike. But when I fell off and broke my wrist at, at 10 years old on a horse, I totally blamed that horse. <laughs> so again, I'm back to square one. Team sports are no good. Uh, I need full control. If I've got something in my hands, yeah. it has to do 100% of what I command or I'm not interested in it. And bikes just became my love. That's that it happened and I was told that I wouldn't be any good on a bike. And that's all I needed to be told. Sometimes that's a spark for some people. Um, yep. I wanted to race BMX. I was a skinny yep. little weed. Everybody else was 20% heavier than me, bigger than me. I was, you grew into a stocky bloke, though, like... I you... steroids at the time, Pete. I'm <laughs> <laughs> joking. joking. <laughs> On the gas as a 10-year-old. No. Is that what happens no, I was in always, I was always a skinny, skinny rake. Yeah. Yeah, always. Even when I got married to my wife, Sandy, I was 75 kilos. At, that's, at some classic, that's some classic photos. Yeah, so... What was the first bike? I probably first, wouldn't even know the, the so brand. The first BMX was a Bennett, a, a BX, BMX 2000. Let me, let me Google this. It's got Keep a brand going. spanking new frame and fork in the dungeon. I sourced one. Was I that the... The white one. Yeah. Was. So my first BMX, my dad came home, it was a Christmas present in Bennett December BMX. 1981. Something like that? Yep, it was yellow with blue tufts. So pretty much the reverse of that. Pretty much, Do you yeah. say 81? 81, yep. Well, that's the 81, like... That's oh, it. Yeah, that's, holy, that's, but it would have been. I've got exactly that frame and forks in the dungeon right there. Brand spanking new. Oh my To gosh. rebuild my original BMX where it all started. That's so sick. Yeah. Would, did you get into racing straight away? I January the sixteenth, nineteen eighty two, was my first BMX race. Yep. It was the opening of Dixon BMX track in Canberra. I think they'd had a pre race a week before that. Yep. But yeah, 16th of January 1982, I've got second. I've still got the photos of that race. I've still got the ribbon and it's in a frame. So that's why I can remember the date so clear as well. I've got to say, like after all the time that we've hung out and spent together, you have a crazy memory for dates. It's, it's on the pendant, on the ribbon. But I can, I can still remember a lot of that because it was... Even when I got into BMX, it was just a dream life for me. It was something that... I don't know, you, I knew I found my grail, bikes. And yeah. I just paid attention to everything. Just It was just one of those things you just absorbed, like the funner it was and the more you got into it, exactly. the more it just yep. kind of like developed. And they say smoking pot kills your memory. <laughs> <laughs> pot, mm, just pot. Um. <laughs> He's going to delete it anyways. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Man, so many... All right, so born Canberra? Yep, no, born in Narandra. Uh, in the Riverina, about an hour west of uh, Wagga. Okay, cool. In between Wagga and Griffith, down in the Riverina. Born there. Moved to Canberra when I was six. Moved to Canberra in six. First yep. bike was? First BMX was Christmas 81. I did have different bikes before that. I had a swing wing, which is a weird 20-inch rear, 16-inch front wheel. And... What the... It, it was a dragster, like a chopper bike. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, gotcha. But it had... Um, well, where the seat tube comes up, it was, yeah. it was a headset setup. So the whole front frame and wheel would swing and had two big springs that kept it in a straight line. The swing bike. And that was my first bike I ever started doing wheelies and stuff on. And 
and that, that's pretty much the bike that really started everything. We'll delve into the history like and the racing and all that stuff a bit more. Like all some of those OG photos and all those photos you showed me before we like before I chose that one to post. It feels like if you're on a bike, you were, you know, you're pretty much pushing it to its like full potential. Any of those bikes before you got your BMX, did you absolutely thrash like everything? I've never. It's one thing that I always had a lot of good, good comments, feedback, and that from uh, riders and manufacturers that I rode for, or you know, was yeah. part of, was that I never broke anything. I always was the known for the one going the biggest. I always was the stupid one that tried stuff first and wound up in hospital, but. I never, I never broke things. I never broke a frame. Um, I think I did break a pair of handlebars once. Never snapped a frame. Never snapped a frame. Never. Not wow. in my whole uh, mountain bikes. Yes. Um, my nineteen ninety four wheeler dual suspension alloy bike cracked at the shock pivot, but um, in my BMXs, never anything. And that yeah. that wheeler, I think, would have been the only frame in my my career that I'd ever that I can remember ever cracked or broke. That's gnarly. So, I always say it's not what you do on a bike, it's how you do it and you know, even today I'm 110 kilo and people sort of ask how I managed to never buckle wheels, get flat tyres or... Oh, it's so know, much technique I'm constantly saying it's all arms and legs. You all know, arms and legs. Yeah, just ride light. But yeah, no, I've never broken a, broken a bike that I can recall. If I did, it'd be only one and I reckon if I broke one I'd remember it because I probably would have been in hospital. So... Well, from boosting. Yeah. Man, some yeah. of those photos are gnarly. I'll... Get some of the photos and I'll click them, I'll put them somewhere up, but they'll probably be on the Instagram as well. First race, uh, when was it? 16th of January, 1982, BMX or mountain bike? Yeah, oh, the first uh, bicycle, I yeah. guess, bike race you were ever in. Yeah, January obviously on the BM, BMX first before. Yep. And then mountain bikes, 88 onwards. So, yeah, I was 12 years old, um, just turned 12 in November, just yep. before that, but January 1982. That was my first race. When you did that race, were you like, oh, did you, I mean, even being so young, did you know you're like, man, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my foot on the gas. This is going to be my thing. I, I can't really remember that. I, I obviously loved it because it was yeah. a ritual for me to go every week. Yeah. Um, I got second. I, all of a sudden, I realised that I could have won if I didn't slide out or skid into one of the corners. Yep. I finally realised I lost because of my mistake, not because of somebody else. So yep. I think it just it just hooked me. I, I still remember the guy who won, Camden. Um, he was a local there for years. And he was, he was quick. And he was my, my goal. Yeah. I think he, he sort of formed the, the drive and the aggression that I have now because he was the first like person lose. I wanted to beat when I started racing. And that was what gave me that drive as I got into the sport. It just impregnated into my memory to just drive, push. And how? When was your first state state title? Uh, so your first BMX races then. First BMX. So when was your first BMX state national title type? So that would have been November 1982, Campbelltown BMX state titles. It was muddy. It was dark, cloudy, stormy, rain. It was a nightmare, and that's the only reason I can remember it. So it was pretty bad. I didn't make the finals at all, but yeah, that was my first state title, and I pretty much did all state titles after that. Yeah, when was your first win, like as a like a state and then a national champion? First state title win, uh, probably didn't come to about eighty four. Were you always in the the top ten though during that time well, since all, your first race? 
Always sort of hovering around that. that well, back then it was six in a final, so I was yeah. always in the final. If I didn't, you know, I was I would have made the semis in most unless I crashed out or something like that. Yeah. So at state level, always in the in the semis, most of the time in the finals, but not not every time. You never nationals. always go according to plan when you've got seven other riders, or back then five other riders wanting to take you out. So it was five then, what is it, eight So it was six, now? six, and now eight, yeah. Yeah, so I went to eight about, I would have been 83, 84 anyway, so the first year or two was only six riders, then all gates went to an eight gate. Is there any particular reason it changed that way? Um, tracks just got better, tracks got wider, riders became faster, and I think the sport just realised yeah, America yeah, America yeah. went to eight. They were building massive, big, wide tracks, huge, big jumps, and yeah. we followed suit pretty quick. Yeah, <clears throat> as is as is the case. All right, uh, I guess I'm going to go through some of this. is gnarly. So I asked him <coughs> a little bit, I was like, oh, you know, some of the achievements, and I've got it written down here, some of them I do. Remember, now it's not in any particular order. Front cover of Australia's first MTB magazine. That is nuts. Seven times MTB national number one over three disciplines. So you've got slalom, trials, downhill, and you've got an X Games silver medal. I haven't seen that. I would like to see that. Yeah, I've got to see that. (laughs) Three times BMX national number ones over 10 state championships. And when I was over here last week, we were sorting a few things out. You found the plaque to your UCI World Championship. You're like, oh, I should put that in a frame or something. That that was, we'll get to that race, it was probably one of the most significant races you had, if not the most significant race you had in your career, without would you say? Doubt. Oh, without a doubt. And it wasn't for the win. But yeah, I know. That, just, that was a sweetener, for sure. Back to the NTV stuff. I want to touch on some of the BMX as well. Out of the three disciplines over those seven national titles that you won, um, what did you enjoy most? Because you mentioned that you did slalom trials and the downhill. Yeah. Did you? Was there anything that you preferred? Did you race? I mean, I feel like this is kind of an ignorant question as, you know, I don't know what sort of sponsorship you had in regards to what bikes you're given, but did you race everything on the same bike or did you only have the two or did you set things up differently? So when you went to a nationals, competed in all uh, disciplines, what were you riding? So back in the early days, this is how old I am, we didn't even have V-brakes. They weren't even the thing. We had cantilever brakes. I don't even know what that is. Okay. Do you have something like that on the wall here? Uh, cantilever brakes, no, only V-brakes. You'd have have it somewhere, yeah. Plenty I can show you. Cantilever brakes. At my first nationals, I rode a bike that actually had a U-brake on the rear, so it didn't even wasn't even cantilever brake. No suspension. Triple chain wheel up front. You know, it was uh, the granny gears. All right. So we did have a little bit of a camera malfunction, but we're back. <coughs> it's okay. We are good. We're gonna get this done. Forty but, minutes of talking. Oh, Fifteen minutes of recording. Is what it is. But we're still here. We're still with a man. We were talking about uh, where the other video would have cut off. We were talking about how many bikes did you have, you know, at Nationals. So I was talking about how you, the disciplines you had won. It was pretty gnarly that you won um, the first dual slalom like ever held, national champions ever held in Australia. But you raced multiple uh, disciplines at the Australian national titles. And you... Um, but I was like, oh, did you have the same bike? Like, did you just have the 
like the one bike? Did you do it all on one thing? Like how did that? Yeah, how does that back work? then it was it was a do it all. You did the only. I mean, we're going back pre-suspension, so every bike was the same. There was aluminium and there was chromoly. Um, that was it. There was just the two different frame yep. materials, but there was no such thing as suspension. Um, like we're talking, say, 1990 Goulburn Yurt Farm Nationals. Uh, that's where I won the trials. I won downhill in the a Sportman, as I said, um, and I raced cross-country as well. I wasn't near the front guys in the cross-country, but I did all three disciplines. I won two nationals that weekend on the one bike. Um, the only other bike you really would have seen there was a trials bike, which was a 20-inch bike, so the real long stems. Yeah. But I preferred to use the 26-inch bike anyway. So you so did the trials on the 26? On the 26-inch, yeah. Yep. And back then it wasn't pallets or anything. It was natural terrain, like big rock drops, and you had to hop up different rocks, and then they started putting pallets in and different things, but not, nothing like today's trials at all. But back then it was still, you know, it's, even today it's, the courses were still tough and be challenging for a lot of people. What was the bike though you were riding? Like what, so you had one bike that did everything. What was the the go like? So first bike was, uh, because I was a Skyway factory rider in the BMX, yep. they brought out a mountain bike called the Lemurian. I rode one of those. And then the bike shop I worked at at Big Bay Bicycles, the owner Paul, we brought in our own frames. We called them Totem, T-O-T-E-M. Yep. And we brought in frame and forks. They were like a triple triangle, like a GT frame. <laughs> we're under the house. Yes. Stop stomping, fuckers. We're going to edit that part out. So we started to import our own bikes through the bike shop. And we had a big team actually going Totem uh, frames. They were pretty cool. They came in a silver and red or a silver and blue. And... We all rode those. They were really cool bikes. But yep. again, it was cantilever brakes. Yeah, it was just all... These things. Yep. So, I have... So, this is pre-V-brake, disc brakes. I didn't even know this was a thing. As, so, these are brand new. These are brand new. From when, would you say? Late 80s, mid 80s. Too. How can they still possibly look like this? Like, They're aftermarket titanium bolts there, but... But, this is... So they're similar to a V-brake, but they're not. So you'll notice that the pads are above the pivot, not below. So you can see. Like, that's brand new. That is wild. So Sun Tour, SR Sun Tour. Um, for those that didn't know, it's been around a very long time, well before Shimano, I believe. So Sun Tour been around a long time. Sun Tour bought the company SR and merged into one. So they recently, obviously, like, they're more known for their suspension, but they've been a business in multiple, like, what what other stuff do they make? Because I actually didn't know that they made brakes. I thought they just did forks. Suntour used to have group sets. Back in the day, it was Shimano and Suntour. Today, okay. it's Shimano and SRAM. So Suntour, Shimano obviously dominated, and they're still around. Yep. SRAM came into the scene, but Suntour used to have Suntour group sets for road and mountain bike, uh, track riding. Suntour's been around for a very long time. Wow. Sun Tour actually make, some SR Sun Tour today make RockShop forks. So for anybody who actually? wants to rubbish SR Sun Tour. Really? Well, well, so when you say they make the forks, do they just like build their housing in the lowers? Like what? I don't know the exacts, but I know that the, the RockShop forks, the most of their models manufactured are manufactured by SR Sun Tour. That's very interesting to know. Some of your best riders in the world today use SR Sun Tour forks. Oh, 100% they do. I'm, I'm not doubting that, yeah. you know, that's just null, you know, like I've never even seen it before. So you did one, you did one 
discipline, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, one bike, multiple disciplines. Yep. Yep. What was the downhill? If you had to say a trail that you've ridden today, because uh, um, one of the things we spoke about before the camera died, he said that the downhill trails were, you know, the, the guy probably went up there the week before, scraped it, and then raked it out, and that's what you race when you got down there. Yeah. And probably a lot rougher, a lot less groomed. If there was a trail you had to compare it to, what's it like that you that we that we would ride today? Narang. Narang is raw, natural, rocky trail, and that's what we rode. You know, I don't but just think back in the late eighties, early nineties, I don't think there was a trail that was ever made with a bobcat or a, or a scoop or a bucket. So back then, the trails weren't they weren't groomed, they weren't used, built by a bucket or a bobcat or anything like that. Yeah, there might have been. I can't remember. I just remember most trails. Maybe back some then, of the bigger jumps. It was rakes, brooms, shovels. That's that's how the trails were made. So Narang today is very much likened to what we raced back in the 90s and the late 80s. Wow. So yeah. Without suspension, without disc brakes, without carbon frames, full chrome ollie, 2.125 tyres with tubes pumped up to 30 PSI so you didn't get a flat. It was true pioneering of the sport, that's for sure. It was, it was darn good fun because it's all we knew. I, don't, I never rode down the hill going, man, I wish I had hydraulic disc brakes and a carbon frame. We didn't know about them. We loved what we had. We were stoked when a 650 mil bar came out. Why? How are we going to fit through the trees with those bars? That's, that's now, it was. What are, you riding, what are you riding on your Rocky? 820. 820, yeah. <laughs> that, as Bob Dylan says. Cut down from 840s. Changing. Cut down from 840. Oh, I, love, I, I like wider bars. I think it's because How I How do you heard... go from racing that and then decide that you like wider bars? Well, I Just think, it, it, again, it came down to being told you shouldn't or you can't or that doesn't work. Then I have to go, well, I need to find that out for myself. And you hear people going, oh, 800 bars, you can't turn corners properly, you know, all this crap. At 840s, I can perfectly do full 180 cross-ups of the bars and not be stretched out. I, I just, I like the extra width for the stability. Yeah. And people say, how do you get through the trees? Oh, how come you don't hit trees? If I rode 600 mil wide bars, I would just miss the trees. If I rode 900, I would just miss the trees. We ride to the conditions that are presented. So yeah. I hate that comment. I really hate that comment. How No, wide bars hit trees. It's like, well, learn to ride properly. Learn to judge things because it doesn't matter what width your bars are. You you adjust accordingly to the riding you're doing. I don't yeah. understand how people can use that comment. Oh, well, it's, it's, I guess it's the same... Um... I see it differently, I guess, because you well, you come from it. You like what I mentioned, like when I first introduced you. There's forty years of experience, yeah. you know, on bikes. Yeah, and so I guess I see that differently. Yeah, but I don't hit trees, I, and I ride I ride eight forties for years, and now I'm I'm down on eight twenty now. But are you going to see a sub eight hundred Craig again? Those days are done. <laughs> I, I like the stability of the eight. Eight twenty is perfect. Seven eighty is the magic number. I went to eight hundred. I rode it, and I just something was missing. I went back to eight forty. I realised bit too wide. I uh, put. Um, you are quite tall though, and you do have quite a. I I would say that your um most people's arm span is bigger than their height. I would dare say that an eight twenty bar doesn't pitch you too far. Not, not, so not too much. No, I, I remember a guy said to me once laughing, he's saying I should be on 760s like he's on, you know, because he was a good rider as well. But I pointed out the fact that I'm about 30% wider in the shoulders than he was. And if we break it down, technically I should be on 910s if he was on 760s. You know, if you, the percentage of my width on top of his versus his bars, what I should run on that percentage comparison, I should be on 900s. 
So yeah, the fact that I was you. on late forties meant that I'm actually riding under width, or he's riding not wide enough. So it, it all comes down. I think what? shoulder width plays a huge role, not necessarily arm length, but also yeah. that shoulder width because that creates that that stance. You're attacking. And I'm more up. comfortable here, as where you're probably more comfortable here. Yeah. I think it's all relevant. I've and done my homework. I've tried all different bars. I've raced on 650s, you know, 620s. What's the smallest bar you've raced? Well, it would have been I mean, 620s, the original 620 or 640 or something with the original downhill bars. <laughs> I've got to say, I've got them over there still. I think the 640 is on it downhill Is that bars. the one, you know, the photo up, upstairs? Yeah. The one in the hallway? Yeah. I think I actually said. I know, they were big, those ones. They were 680s. That did not look big. <laughs> that was 680s. They did not look big at all. I stopped at that photo and I was like, what is that pencil sitting on your stem? Yep, that was like, 680s. Legit, I swear if you stuck your thumbs out, you could have touched them together. But um, that's gnarly to think, you know, you the tracks that you would have... So, But I imagine that the D, the downhill would have been ridiculously steep. Oh, yeah, there were was, was sections that would still be considered tech and, you know, pros hanging out that section today to work out the best lines and stuff. And you are doing this on these brakes. Yep. yep. And then you were doing no suspension with basically two-point tyres. Two-point-twos, yeah, one-two-fives. Do you think that type of riding, riding a hardtail, you know, like a uh, what they call it, fully rigid bike, is where you developed like a lot of the MTB intuitiveness from. Absolutely, totally, and BMX of course, because riding BMX, you know, um, twenty inch wheels, you feel everything. Yeah, so, so it's twitchy, you know, the bike I think control. I, I owe it to BMX, and then I owe it to the early days of mountain biking. Um, the, the camera stops. I don't know if I said this in the previous recording or it wasn't captured or not, but. Um, Hardtails, starting out on a hardtail is what's going to create the skills in you when, you, when you're riding a mountain bike. You know, Let's touch edit, on this again just in case. Because edit I this think part it's... out if we have. If not, we'll start from here. So I think with um, just with hardtail mountain bikes, I think every mountain biker that comes into the sport, every newbie, you, you can't regulate it or anything, but they should start on a hardtail. You know, imagine if we had a logbook and you had to start on a hardtail and accumulate 100 hours on flat pedals and a stiff frame. I think would create better riders, uh, less ambulance, emergency call-outs, things like that, less crashes, and then a lot more passion um, and motivation from riders that aren't quite as scared because their skills have improved so much. And again, I don't know if we touched on this, if the recording's there, but bikes today work too good. And I think this is a big, big problem as, as bikes get mm. more tech, as bikes get more advanced, riders aren't realising just how much of the bike is doing the work and they're not quite as good a rider as they may think they are because they're doing 60 down this single track that's rocky. How much that really is the bike, how much is really the rider? When you hit a, a feature like a, a really sharp jump and the bike can only do so much and then the rider has to take over, a lot of these guys can't. Ejecto seat and, Yep, over the bars and that's where ambulances are called. I think uh, to start on a hardtail or short travel bikes is is crucial if you want to become a good mountain biker. You're never going to find your the limit to your own personal physical capabilities on a bike when you're starting out on a 150, 160 travel enduro bike. It, they're so plush. They're so good. And, mm. You know, my wife doesn't ride bikes, but she could bomb down a hill on some of these bikes and, you know, luck might have it that she could get to the bottom without crashing, you know, because it's the bike. But you put her on a hardtail, she wouldn't get 20 feet. Yeah, I get you. 
Like, it, goes, it, it makes me think, like, if you put the Druid, you know, so there's so many bikes in here. But if you put that Druid in your hands back then, can you imagine, like, I mean, obviously you're all racing. Say that bike just pops out. Like, can you imagine the times you've could have put down? I don't reckon you'd still win. I reckon you still... Do you I, reckon? I, I've got to say, man, the, the way we rode bikes back then, and some of these guys, some of these downhill blokes around the world, just nutcase. Like I know what I've done on a bike back then on a hardtail, and I question how the hell I did it, and I was nothing compared to some of these guys. So, if that Druid or my Rocky Mountain Instinct just magically appeared at the '92 Nationals or something, yeah, that oh, the, the times would definitely be quicker, but not by as much as what people may think. I mean, the courses were brutal, but the riders were too. You know, the, you would, it's a different you, type of your person. body climatizes to the conditions of what it's used to, and if that's what you're always riding, it's it's crazy. We're also talking, you know, 70, uh, 72 degree head angles, you know, and, so, and so seat tubes that are like extra extra large frames these days. The seat tube height, the top tube was flat, you know, yeah, and, and just the bikes were short, they were sharp, they were steep, they were hard. It would have been like skitting around yeah. like a hockey puck. Oh, it was absolutely crazy stuff. But that's but that's all we knew, so it was great. You know, somebody come along with a 71 and a half head angle while everybody else was on 73. It's like, man, that thing's huge. Look at the wheelbase on that. And now, like, the wheelbase now, now on, like on the, the, the standard torque for an enduro bike is like 62.3, 63. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mount almost... cycle large wheelbase is 950, I think. And wheelbase is now like 1200. You know, it's massive differences in the same size. So, man, it's just it's, it's progression. So to progression think. is awesome, and it's feeding so much money into the industry, which is allowing manufacturers today to put money back into riders, full time riders now, yeah. which we never had. It's great to see that manufacturers are putting back into the sport. That's the best part about progression of the bikes themselves. Oh, I've asked this question to someone else before, but do you think though, like, how do you? Is there a way that without, you know, you know, licensing it like a car license, is there a way? Because social media, Instagram, then again, apologize, we already chat about this, but I don't think we have. Um, social media, Instagram has, you know, obviously given businesses, not forced businesses, but given businesses another avenue to make money. But the reason people buy these bikes, the majority of the reason I think that people would buy these bikes or, you know, be jumping into something that might a bike that might be perform above the way that they could actually ride it is because of the influence of how they saw things. You, uh, that nationals was like so different. Like people's every race, every rider, every uh, discipline, all the way down, but you said Crankworks was a different vibe. Yeah. Yeah, Crankworks, different events on different days. Yep. Um, and if you were a slalom rider, you probably didn't come for the for the slope style. If you're a slope style, you I weren't there I wouldn't want to miss any trip. of it. I watched yeah, everything. But most riders, and most didn't, but you still saw people just walk around not paying attention while the slope style was going on. The only people around the fence were the ones interested. It was probably 70% of the people there. Another 30% were off doing other things while the slope style was on. Vice versa, when the pump track was on or the slalom was on, back back in the 90s, it didn't matter if an event was on, the whole crowd was there. If you've travelled to Threadbow for a national event, 
you and your family and everybody else. There was only one event at a time on, but you had full crowd the whole time, whether it was the downhill or the cross country even. Yeah. They even had a, an event back then called the hill climb where you climbed to the top of the summit. That's probably the oh. only one that all the crowds didn't go to because that was quite boring. But, <laughs> and it didn't last. But hill climb, cross country, and downhill were the first three, and trials were the, they were the four events at a mountain bike event. Hill climb, yeah, hill climb, cross country, downhill trials. It definitely seems like the emergence of social media has changed the way that these comps will be run Absolutely. and the way that brands will market their uh, their bikes in that because I feel like a lot of people would, without thinking about it, would definitely be whatever it is, whether it's a common soul or this bike or that back or a Rocky or Forbidden, they see that ad that for whatever reason clicks with their yep. main and then they're like, that's the bike that, you know, I want. Yeah, totally. Whether it's the bike that they might need is another question. But, like, I guess I'm leading to, how do you, how do you, we regulate it to stop people from having so many accidents like we were, we're talking about? Is there a way, like, do brands need to talk more about safety or are they just going to keep putting videos up of the majority of their riders, you know, sending it? Yeah. That's what this, and that's unfortunately, what it's left to. up to the brand manufacturers <clears throat> to create the safety gear to do all the push. It, it would be nice to see UCI events promote at the start of events, like on on social media or on TV or whatever. Just have two minutes of protection and apparel adverts. You know, making people realise I need that. I didn't even think of that. I think I think a lot of emphasis is uh, should be placed on safety. Elbow pads, mm -hmm. knee pads. Even neck braces for downhill, body vests, um, and full-face helmets. We've all got to have a full-face helmet, but a lot of people don't use a lot of armour. Uh, it doesn't even mean racing. Just you go to Boomerang Farm, lots of dudes wearing T-shirts, you know. And well, One that like... I think, I think uh, yeah. protection needs to be a bit more um, promoted. People need to be paying a little bit more attention to it. But in saying that, more and more every day when I go riding now, I see... See guys wearing elbow pads and knee pads 10 years ago, you never saw that. So it's definitely a, a trend, and sometimes yep. it takes a trend to create safety. So, yeah. you know, everybody starts wearing these knee pads, you know, like um, the, the Leon Airflex knee pads. Um, everybody's going to start seeing that thing, a great idea, never thought of that. You know, I remember 10 years ago, I wouldn't have worn them because they were so uncomfortable. Big Velcro straps pulling on your skin. The layout stuff today... Well, sorry, knee pads and elbow pads today are just so darn comfortable you forget you're wearing them. Yeah, the majority you know, of the time it's you really so do. Easy to, to, there's no excuse anymore. And they used to be a little And the way they perform, like the tech, like you think, you know, after a couple of crashes, like it's not going to do much, but they actually do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. Oh, can you just talk about that for a second? <laughs> so that's a Mountain Cycle Pro Stop floating rotor. How big is that rotor? 220. That is huge. 22094. 1994. So that's only 30 years old. And tell them the bike and, it's and the fork and that story. So this was used on my um we saw the introduction to suspension in about 93 thereabouts, I think it was in the sport. And I rode for Mountain Cycle in 94. Um, my sponsor was Mike Preston from the Cool Bike Company. He was the importer of Mountain Cycle. Um, been a long-time friend, and we had a really good team going. He was always, he had his finger on everything. This guy just had the gift of the gab, and he was in tight with Answer overseas, and 
they'd produced four disc brake forks. It was their first disc brake fork ever. It was on their Magnum style forks, uh, the Manitou Magnums, like that. They were red and black ones. I do have a photo of them somewhere. Uh, Answer sent the four pairs over here. <laughs> That's straight top two. If you were talking about. <laughs> Answer sent the, the four forks over here for us to test. They didn't want them seen in America. They wanted to keep away from the, you know, prying eyes of anybody. So we got to use them here, and, yeah, they, they lasted two runs. And uh, It's so funny that you blasted a set of forks in two runs. Well, the legs, the dropouts are bonded onto the, the, the legs. So your dropouts are, I don't know if you can see it on here or not, but we'll show a photo in a minute. Um the dropouts are bonded onto the leg and Actually, I'll take a photo. What happened was we before I forget. Just the bottom here, yeah. 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 Yeah, so the dropouts were bonded onto the leg and going down the first run felt okay. Second run down threadbow down the hill. Under load on the front brakes, heavy sort of breaking into corners. The bars were twisting or the front wheel felt like it was twisting. Something didn't feel right. So I went back to the to the motel and Mike Preston and Pat Scott were already there with their front wheels off. Um, when I took my front wheel off, the whole um, caliper and bottom leg was just separated from the from the leg itself. So the force of the caliper and the brake actually separated the lug from the leg itself. Oh my only held together by the bolt running through and threading into the base of it. So oh, pretty lucky in the end, but you know, answer. Like, like basically the fork could have ripped off. Oh yeah, well you still had the or other part leg. of it. You still had the other leg connected, but it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. But that's trial and error, and you know, I'm I'm so grateful today that I can look back and and say that I was part of the progression of, of disc brakes with, with an answer at least with their Manitou fork. But I think RockShocks had it nailed. They had the duty just come out and the dropout was all one piece in the leg. So totally different setup, couldn't separate. And I think that's where answer readdressed their problems. So that was pretty cool though, it was good. Because um, those forks came out the same, you were saying the same, uh, some guys were riding those forks at that same competition, yeah? There was four pairs that came over. So Ansa sent four pairs of those forks to yeah, Australia. Yeah, four pairs of those forks. And the RockShox ones, were they there? The RockShox came out about six months earlier. Okay. The RockShox duty, I'm pretty sure it was the duty, came out before Ansa brought out theirs. But RockShox, the dropout legs were actually, the um, caliper lugs were moulded as part of the legs. So they, it was all one piece. Ah, so nuts. And you won, there's probably something in there. Oh. That I think they're pretty disparate though. Yeah, because I've got the... Yeah. Man, you won everything like on that on that bike, like that one bike. Then you know more multiple MTB championships, titles. There's that. Fast forward a little bit. Back to back on the BMX. You found the plaque when I was over here last week. And you're like, oh, I should probably hang that up. The plaque I'm talking about is a UCI uh, BMX World Championships. Give us a bit of details on yeah why that why that race means so so much yeah like i i know we have to recap it again but i just think it's so powerful like the strength that you had to do what you do so I, if you wouldn't mind chatting about it again yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's fine Let yeah cool well, to touch on it. for me it wasn't it wasn't about winning the world title that that um well it was that was that was so cool it's the best thing I've, that's <laughs> i can't deny yes. that but for about nine months Leading up to that, I'd been really sick. I was having dizzy spells. I'd blacked out a few times, balance issues, massive headaches. I'd end up getting depression from it all because nobody knew what was going on. I was told 
I'd seen different surgeons, um, different doctors, and you know the best the best outcome I was given was I'm stressed out. I clench my jaw. That gives me headaches, and creates dizzy spells. So I, I knew that it wasn't that. You know, you just you know your own body. Yeah. And um, I was just sweeping out the garage one day and just dropped to the ground. It turned out I was taken to the hospital ambulance in an ambo and. Um, Doctors said that they found a, a, a tumour. So it turns out I had an aneurysm. I had two blood clots and one of them had, had burst. I got a stent put in, I think they call them stent. Um, and then I had to stay in hospital to have uh, a, a brain, have a, a um, tumour removed. And I was racing world titles of like 10, 20, 10 days, two weeks after I'd gone into hospital. Wait, hang on a second. So you had the tumour removed and... I swear, wait, did you tell me that? You had the tumour removed before the race? No. Two weeks before the race? No, I had the aneurysm. Okay. You had the aneurysm. Wound yes, up in yes, hospital. Yes, yes. Okay. They found a tumour and said, we've got to operate. Yeah. Uh, it'll be three weeks away because there's neurosurgeons Which is, aren't just... The third week is the week after. Yeah, but, yep. but two weeks after I went to hospital, a week before I was meant to have brain sur or surgery for the tumour, um, the world titles were on. So I convinced the surgeon and the people at the hospital let me rest at home. Yeah. No point wasting a hospital bed. You know, we can go home and relax, play the PlayStation. I had them convinced that that was a better better decision, and they let me go home. So I jumped on a plane, flew to Adelaide. I raced the world titles. I came home Sunday, and Tuesday I was back into hospital for, for surgery, which was successful and all was good in the end. But, yeah. What is it? Oh, man, I've, this is probably the fourth time that we've, spoken about this and maybe recapped it like a different way but can you put it down to anything like do you think it's just a part of who you are like that you're like, i'm gonna win because i don't essentially you know some people are like, oh, it's so selfish like you had a family kids this that because the doctor said if you knock your head you pretty much because like, I, I still had a blood clot so yeah it was chance yeah, I was told not thing. to do any sport, nothing, because a good hit on the head could put me back in hospital in a bad way. Just wanted so, to do it. I didn't think about that at the time. I just wanted to rest at home, wanted to race. I look back on it now and could I say silly? It was silly. Was it negligent? No. If you don't take risks in life, how are you going to get better at what you do? How are you going to... Life mm. is all about risks, whether they're physical, mm. financial, mental... You know, if you don't take a risk in life, you're always going to be that little kid in the corner. And I used to be that little kid. And I got tired of it, man. I got really tired of it. So I thought, I need to strengthen who I am. I need to prove that it ain't over until you can't stand up. And I think I proved that to myself really well. It's the drive, that mentality. You can't, you know, if you want to get your top of the game, you can't do it by being a sissy, you know. Yeah, you got to work. Absolutely, you've got to take the risks. I've taken the risks. And here I am. When did you um, finish up racing completely, like any any bikes? Because obviously, you know, you're still riding a lot now. But when was when was your last race? So I hung the mountain bike up 2001 yep. um, after the Winter X Games at Threadbow. Uh, sorry, at Perisher. And um, got back into BMX racing. And 2016 was my last BMX race. So I decided at that point I'd done everything. Well, I can't say done everything I wanted to do. I, yeah. I won more than I ever set out to do. I just set out to have fun and ride my bike. Um, any any really win that came either. along, it was just a bonus for me. But um, but I did pull the, the put the plate on and I raced the um, 
the Rocky Trail Enduro year before last. I did a couple of those. So we've got to do Castle Hill. Yeah, yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen to do that. But yeah, so to. I'm still going to keep racing every now and then. But I, I told you, Johnny, that he said he wanted to. He wanted to do to Toowoomba, but he was away. Yeah, he's going to do Castle Hill. He has to do it now. I got it on camera. Man, so last was it 2016? Do you ever miss it in official capacity, or is it just other parts of your life? No, I miss it a shitload. I absolutely do. You miss feel it. like you become a different person when you set it, like you set a plan in place and you you put a race. So, does it become yeah. a different animal? Yeah, but you got to keep reigniting yourself. So I gave up BMX, and now I said I miss it. I miss it heaps, but I don't regret quitting. Yeah. Okay. I was over racing. I've been doing it since 1982. I was. I was just. I just needed to just stop racing, stop that stress of the week coming up, knowing I have to compete again. And, you know, I think I just lost the enthusiasm to race. Then um, just started riding the mountain bike again. And then uh, a lot of people on YouTube, on, on uh, social media, start asking, what's the best loop at Narang? I went there, I got lost, and I knew Narang pretty well. And I thought, oh, I should get a GoPro and go and do a ride guide and record some of the different loops and put them up and see if it gets any interest. And... It became really popular, so that actually re-motivated me to go out and ride more. So that's my new competition is to to produce what I call quality. Quality for me, I'm not the greatest editor or anything like that, but not quantity. I just want to happy get, with it. Just yeah. get a good video that I'm happy with. I don't care how many views it gets. I have to be happy with what I've it's done. Not doing too bad. And if people like it and benefit from it, then that gives me more drive to produce more videos. So all the videos on Flamentum are. Aimed at the the general any rider, it's it's they're all they're like tutorials, they're how tos, they're ride guides. It's not about what I can do on a bike. It's it's all about trying to pass on what I know. You can do a few things on a bike, and I just want to I want to help others, and and I think YouTube's yeah, yeah. a great avenue for me. It's really good, um, like a conduit to get more riders going. Hey, I didn't think I could do that, and I did because he explained it properly. Or you know, I yeah. just want to do more of that. And that's what the whole YouTube channel is about. So that's reignited me to ride more, and yep. and it's starting to kick off. You know, I've got a Mondraker ready to review. I've just got a roller uh, upright vertical bike rack to do a review on. So it's starting to roll along really well. And um, you know, I've just passed three and a half thousand subscribers the other day, which I was pretty happy about with ninety four videos. So I think that's, that's pretty, pretty mean, man. Do you <clears> think <throat> how? If you could do anything like ideally, would you solely do YouTube or do you, are you really happy with your work or? You know, YouTube for me, a lot of people go, oh, that's Flamendum. I, I don't want to be known as Flamendum or that YouTube guy. When you're out on it's... the trails locally in Southeast Queensland, it's probably going to happen. Though. Yeah, I, and I, I get that. But like for me, it's, it's not who I am or want to be. It's... As I said, it's I want to use it as a conduit to pass on what yeah. I know to help others. I don't want to be known mm -hmm. as that YouTube guy, but so that is going to happen. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. definitely going to happen. I, well, I get it's like that. when you're out with with like, but for me, I like Johnny, <laughs> yeah. Johnny the G. Exactly, but I, I look back at what I've achieved in in my career riding mm -hmm. and that I've had a great career, and I don't want that to be overshadowed by being a YouTuber. You know, that's that, I'm not interested in. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing it for the for the, the views, um, although I am, yep. because the views dictate the success of the channel, I'm, I'm doing it because it is an avenue for me to pass on what I know, and it's a good opportunity. You know, I've been um, 35 years full-time in the bike industry, over 40 years racing. Um, it's an opportunity for me to pass on what's up in this muddled-up head 
try and break it down and pass it on to the viewer and help them become a better rider, help them learn how to wheelie, bunny hop, uh, help them to go out to the ring and have an awesome ride through a trail they didn't know about. Or, you know, that's the whole idea of my channel. It's all about helping other riders because I've got so much out of the sport. There's not, I don't want anything more now. Now it's yeah. time for me to utilize a YouTube channel to pass that on and to help others. That's that's what I'm. That's, that's cool. the only reason I'm trying. I don't want it for any. Somebody said to me, "Are oh, you doing it for for the notoriety?" And that. So if, nah. if you knew my history, you'd realise that YouTube's nah. got nothing on on my past. So it, it, I definitely aren't doing it for any of that. Maybe I am doing a little bit of it to to cling on to that last bit of hope that I've got that I can still ride a bike. But it's. It's, it's not it's not for that reason at all. You don't need anyone to tell you that you can ride a bike, bro. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing pretty good. Like, it's... I think that's cool, though. Like, I, I definitely think that humans need something to work towards or just, you know, basic daily goals. Whether, whether it's a, like a one passion, like with you, you know, it's bikes and mountain bikes. You need to have, like, a daily goal and do something that works towards, you know, fulfilling some part of that thing that you're passionate about to not go a little bit loopy. Because, like, I feel like if you were just riding bikes but didn't have any sort of direction, like, you'd be like, oh, sweet, I'm going to make videos that help people and I'm going to get to ride bikes with my friends and enjoy it and work in the industry. Cool. But if you were just doing that, just running by, I think being such a motivated person, it would probably come to a standstill again at some point. You'd be like, why am I just... Right. But that's where I'm yeah. really stoked now that the channel's taking a, a different direction or a yeah. new direction, not a different direction, a, an additional, additional avenue yeah. where I'm getting to test ride bikes now. Like um, that could help people I'm, in their choice. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. getting, uh, coming up soon, I'll be doing um, uh, a brand with a, an e-bike and Santa Cruz. And, you know, so I'm going to get to ride all these new cool bikes. And for me, that is absolutely awesome because I get to see what all these other designs are all about with, yeah. the, you know, and I think that's going to be really cool. That's going to reignite me more, and it gives me an opportunity to ride all these different style bikes, and then pass on my opinion of those to to others as well. So there's there's a whole new avenue of enthusiasm coming my way by getting these opportunities. So there's so much more to come on Flowmentum. It's it is my channel now to you know to pass on that knowledge to others. Yeah, and and the other thing too is I never say welcome to my channel because it's not my channel. It's it's your channel. I'm just the host, you know what I mean? Like, I don't like the word my channel. It's, it, it is, but I, yeah. I, it's yeah. it's not about me. It's So it's not my channel. It's the viewer's channel, and I'm the man behind it that is, that is pushing it. Just a driving force. So, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why that is. I've just never used the word welcome to my channel. I, it is my channel, so I don't know why I don't like that, but I guess I just see it a little Everybody bit Everybody has their own things. Bro. Exactly, it's not yeah. a bad thing, but... For me, it's not my channel. It's it's the viewers' channel. They're the ones yep. who created it. You know, I made the videos, but they're the ones who watch it, like, and comment. And without that, there is no channel. So it's theirs, not mine. Yeah, you I know, get it. I the get viewer that. decides what happens to Flamentum in the future, not me. Man, there's so many. Like, it's a good man. It's a really good thing because, like, obviously, I was gonna you know touch on the YouTube stuff, but I, I think it's cool how it's naturally flowed from. Um, you know, now that we're not racing, like, you know, what what's the what's the goal? You know, what's the thing for you? Like, how do you, how do you give back? Um, you know, doing bits to help other riders, teaching me a few things here and there. You know, other riders in local community helping out. You know, young guys like 
I feel if I was in the same position, it would be something that I would want to do as well because, man, like there's so much history, there's so much knowledge. <laughs> there's so much history, there's so much knowledge. Like, you know, why not, you know, why not give back? Exactly. Um, I had a note here. It's just one of those you know, things that come up. Sole designer, you said, of the world's number one selling BMX race tire. Uh, race tire. And you also told me you designed a Maxxis tire. Can I say that? Can I talk? Can we talk about that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, designed... How did these opportunities like come? Like, I mean, obviously, you're so well embedded in the industry. How did that stuff come about? Um, I've been working for the Bicycle Corporation since 1996. Um, the, the biggest, most successful wholesale company in this industry, for sure. They've been around since 1982 and never struggled. They've, they've so Bicol's been around since 82? Since 1982. Actually, the, the three original directors of the company were in this industry in the 50s here in Australia with Malvern Star back in the day uh, called General Accessories. So they've been in this game for over 50 years, 60 years plus. Wow. There, there's some history with those guys and I've been lucky enough to be a massive part of that company. Um, we were, Tioga had a, a financial investment in Bicorp at one stage. So um, when I was racing, I sort of had a bit of credentials behind me and uh, Tioga just wanted... Just a few, just a few credentials. Tioga wanted um, some new tyres. So we came up with the, um, well, actually the Compex was one of the first tyres. A lot of people won't realise there's a bit of history there, but when the Tioga Power Block came out, that was a tire that I designed single-handedly. So Tioga approached me or through Bicorp and said, here's what we need. Um, what do you think? The, the yeah. Tioga Comp 3 was the big seller at the time. And then um, a brand called Intense brought out a race tire called the Micro Nobby, which was real low <laughs> Just profile. Just a little brand called Intense. Yeah, so they, they called, created this Micro Nobby. I think they may have been the first company to come up with a low profile, small knob, high-speed tire as tracks progressed and got harder compound, you know, bitumen corners. These tyres came about and Tioga owned, well, the owner of Tioga also owns a percentage of Seattle Bike Supply, which is SBS, which is Redline Bicycles. And the Comp 3 was fitted on the Redlines. People didn't want that because they wanted these new tyres. So Tioga's, Redline said, we need a new tyre from Tioga. They approached Tioga and said, we need a new tyre. We need, a, we need to take on the intense micro knobby. They contacted me and I've got I've got all prototypes. I've got resin moulds. I've got everything. I've got graphs, um, CAD drawings, everything there. Became went on to become the most successful selling BMX tire in the history of the sport. So that was pretty cool. That was that was good. That's gnarly. That's so dope. And the Maxxis tire. Maxxis was the. Um, I didn't design it. I had a little bit of input. It was minor, but. Um, yeah, I had a little bit of input into the Maxxis Crossmark initially. They wanted a cross-country tyre that was a bit more aggressive yeah. as cross-country started to get a lot more aggressive. But it was more opinions, generalisation there. But I, I wouldn't say I had anything to do with it, but I, I did. But, yeah, can't yeah. say that you didn't. No, but yeah. So dope. Is there anything like, any moments over the years, like after, you know, all the achievements, medals, championships, everything, is there any particular moments that, stand out for you like or is there any you know like a small handful of things like obviously like your world titles like um your world titles are probably like your most favorite moment from racing but is there anything aside from the wins that you're like oh man i love that or anything that like really sticks out yeah probably <clears throat> i don't know why but 1994 
Uh, the Jules Slalom was growing. It was a big sport in this country. Yeah. And there was this massive big Jules Slalom event held in the centre of Sydney at, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the park. It was in the middle of the city. Yep. And it was a big, sponsored by Reebok. It was sponsored by Syncross. It was like, you know, it was six or eight thousand dollars prize money and all these other things and um was in the middle of a park and the park had sort of stepped down grass and they built this slalom course on it with the tv crews and a big national thing and i just had this awesome day on the saturday i qualified fastest so you did qualifying rounds and i was the quickest qualifier and um, I was riding for a company called Wheeler at the time. I had a Wheeler dual suspension bike and it was it was cracked. I noticed a crack on it that morning before racing and I kept an eye on it and this is the only bike that I've cracked when I said I've cracked a frame before, a mountain bike frame, that was this one. And that afternoon on the Saturday, I was offered a sponsorship by Mountain Cycle. That's when I first met Mike Preston from Cool Bike Company. Uh, we'd already spoke. I knew that deal was going to happen. I met him there and we had a chat and then... Um, Went home, went back to a friend's house that night. Next morning we came back and I, I ended up winning everything, including the finals. And I was up against one of the world's biggest names, Miles Davis. He was a full Trek factory rider at the time. Very fast guy, really nice guy, Miles. And we went head to head in the finals and my frame actually broke. Uh, it was ready to break after my first, because you do a, a run in each gate. After the first run, I beat him, just beat him in the left lane. And I noticed the frame was... Starting to, starting to separate and presto offered me a mountain cycle i said no i need to stay on what i know and um next race i raced miles and as i came around the last flag six feet before the finish line the frame just went snap and oh. still went across the line still won and the bike just broke it literally held on oh. until that last literally that last second of the race and my gosh yeah so for me that was really cool because i that was a big event back then that was bigger than the nationals when it come to media coverage and everything it was on um wasn't simon townsend's wonder world it was one of those you know those afternoon sports show things and yeah that was really cool i won like the bike snapped like as you came bucks. across the line yeah just on that last last race probably i don't what you would do for footage of that oh yeah Oh, there is a mountain in this um, Australian Mountain Bike magazine. There was a coverage of that event. And they talked about that happening. I think that's probably why I remember it so much because I've read it in that article. But yeah, you that, have that's to probably have somewhere have to have a copy of that. Yeah, I've still got the check. I've got the check, uh, like a, a a a copy of that check, a photocopy yep. of it. I've got the article. I've, I've kept all that. I've got the photos. The Canberra Times did a, an article <laughs> on me afterwards. That's and nuts. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So for me, that one was really cool. That was a good one. That was fun. I don't know why. It just it was. I, I just won everything. I picked up my mountain cycle sponsorship. Um, I won. You snapped the, a bike awesome and Reebok, still won. Reebok shoes. You know, fifteen hundred bucks or something stupid back then. It was huge. So it was. It was good. It was an all-round good day. But there's one thing I've always wanted to win in, in my life of racing. I've never have, and I've always wanted one. It was a big-ass novelty check. Ah. I've never <laughs> won an event that has those big checks, and I've always wanted one. I've won one. I always yeah, uh, You suck too. <laughs> <laughs> I do suck on a bike. Take away the world. Take the nationals away. <laughs> just give me some event that gives me this big novelty check that I can put up on the wall, you know? If it's it, all I ever wanted. If it makes you feel any better, the thing that they awarded me, oh, like that was on the thing. Like, you know how there's money on a check? There was like a trip to Coachella. That trip to Coachella never happened, but I still got the check. You know, because it was a very particular um, award that was given along with the 
with the trip that was, you know, the the prize for winning that award. Anyway, I'm stoked that I, I've, I've won something. Cool, what? I've got I've got a one up on you. That's about That's the only awesome. thing, though. I was going to go and get one made. Oh, why not? Why not? <laughs> no, because I didn't win it. I would never. I, I, I thought about it because that's what I always wanted. And then it's the only thing I regret retiring from racing and not actually achieving was just... Getting a big ass. I don't care what check. the event was. I don't care if it was some clubby thing and they did it as a novelty. I, I don't care. If I legit won that club one. race, I got that check, I'd be a happy man. It's the only thing I never got. Why does this... Why is it... I wonder why it's such like a... Ooh, I got a... I got a oh, you know, you get that check. You're like, I'm the man. And you look down. You're like, oh, that's not that much money. Oh, yeah, I don't, oh, back I don't care. If it was a dollar, just as long as it was a legit event, and I yeah. won the check. That's all I wanted. I didn't care about the money part of it. Although the more the better, of course. We'll never argue that. Where have you travelled to? Um, in, hang on, in hang on. All right, let's get back into that. I think we actually made up for pretty well, then. That was good. I'm surprised the GoPro went for 45 minutes without overheating. <sighs> Oh man, I was like, I was looking at it. Yeah, and I'm like, like is this gonna happen? You're still going, you fucking. That's brilliant. All right, oh, now ready? Let's go. Traveling <clears> around, <throat> like obviously you've been to so many places. You race in so many places. Is there any like? Obviously, we spoke about favorite moment. Is there any one place that you have been that was like the nicest to ride in, or like the not just racing, but like nicest to ride in that like. Mountain biking bikes is like be, being able to take you to. Yeah, ma <laughs> mountain biking never took me out of the country at all. Um, yep. There was a few sort of opportunities that arose in the nineties, but I, I started to pay my way, and I just didn't. I, I, that's probably. I always say I never regret anything I've done in life, only the things I haven't, and that's definitely, without a doubt, one of the things I Do you I mind regret. if I ask what those opportunities were? I can't remember. It was to race Mammoth Mountain. Let's go and race Mammoth. So Mammoth was, without a doubt, the biggest downhill event in the world back in the 90s. If you race Mammoth Mountain, it doesn't matter whether you crashed and didn't finish or, or you won. You got invited to race You were still Mammoth. a legend. Oh, you didn't have to get invited. I need you to look it up because I haven't race. even heard of it. And oh, really? I mean, you know I've been nerding out. Yeah, so. Mammoth Mountain was the big one. But... Without a doubt for me, 1987, Orlando, Florida, BMX World Championships. I I didn't make the main. I, I think I made the quarters and that was about it. But you're a 17-year-old, you're a first trip to America, mm. you know, your whole life you bled BMX and all of a sudden you're in BMX's backyard. Well, because we went to California first, which is where BMX originated from. And just to see all these factory riders that you read in the magazines, they're right in front of you, man. And I'm this skinny, weedy little 17-year-old nobody, you know, looking to these, looking up to all these idols yeah. that I had. It was just, it was something I will never, ever forget. The track was, if you could create something in your mind, this track at Orlando, Florida was it, you know. Yeah. It was just the raddest thing. And, you know, they, uh, Vans sponsored it, Vans Shoes sponsored it. It was... Um, they had you all know massive, you like a pair of Vans. Well, yeah, I love my Vans, but they had a big banner up on the the commentary box. It was huge. It was 1987 IBMXF World Championships Vans BMX. The banner was 12 foot wide. Oh, and I went and stole it that night, one of the nights. <laughs> I climbed a tree. And of course jumped, you did. I jumped about eight foot across to the, um, to the, co the commentary tower and I got this banner and couldn't get down. My mate Kieran had to call the fire brigade. He took the banner Wait. and hit it. And well, you got stuck in a tree? No, I got stuck up in the control tower because they locked everything. You couldn't get down because there's a ladder, but you couldn't get into it. 
from it came up underneath. Yeah, I was on the roof. I'd went over to get this banner. And you were stuck. Oh and I, my! I couldn't gosh. jump back to the tree because I jumped from a branch down. Yeah. Anyway, it was a bad thing to do. I, but you know, I've got this awesome big huge banner, and it's it's the best thing I've got because of the memory and the story and the fact that that was my first big adventure in bikes out overseas. Loved it. it was cool. And you still got that banner? Yep, still got that banner. Of course I do. Absolutely. So many things I cannot wait to see. Yep. That is, an, and it's got the big van sign on it and everything. It's got Vans, BMX, IBMX, World Championships. Yep, it's it's, it's a cool bag. I'll show you, show you in a minute. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but you will. That, that was that was probably that part was was good, but probably the most fortunate or opportunistic one that I had was um, GT Bicycles wanted me to do a freestyle tour through Japan in 1994, oh. and that was all covered, all expenses paid, and. Um, World Expo was World Expo was one of those things that went around the world. Uh, it was a ten day thing, and um, we did that in Toyama in Japan, and that was yeah that was that was a real good privilege to so you got to, to ride, ride for GT, GT bicycles and, Damn, and do freestyle man. tours throughout. Because they're one of the OG brands, like along Absolutely. with like back then Melvin yeah. and who else. Uh, like BMX wise and mountain bike wise. Oh, BMX back back in the day, you know, um, GT Hutch Skyway. Yep, I know Skyway and GT. Huge brands back then. You know, they were just big. GT was probably the biggest, and Redline. They'd be two of your bigger brands. They were two of your biggest head to head pros in the US. Greg Hill and Stu Thompson, GT mm -hmm. Redline. Um, yeah, so it was it was a good opportunity to to do that. I'm lucky enough. I've still got the riding gear, the factory gear that I was given to use, and yeah, that was really cool. That was a good opportunity, that one. So right. I've had a few few trips around the world from, from bikes and stunt double for a chewing gum commercial in Indonesia. <laughs> so what? That was pretty cool. Wait, did you ride bikes in the commercial or you were just a stunt I, double? I was. I rode the bikes. So it was a group of two boys, two girls. They were bored, sitting around, nothing to do. And then one of the guys pulls out of his pocket a lot of chewing gum. And they'll go... And they all have a piece each, and then they feel active, and all of a sudden the guys jump on their bikes and start riding this half pipe and doing big airs. And you were but one of was, the guys. We were, so we weren't the actors, but we then had to get into their clothes and then ride this half pipe. And we I had dare say you, you didn't look like any of the Indonesian kids, though. That but you can't tell pretty... because it was done at night time. Oh, and, okay, yeah, and, gotcha. Yeah, so they, the, the film company had already hired, uh, contracted two local bike riders and when we went to this film studio, there was this little kick ramp. It was about four foot high, just sitting against a wall. And Squid, the guy, the, the TV producer, the, the producer yep. of this um, film company, said, oh, that's what we had for the, the two riders who were going to do the commercial, but they, it was too big. They couldn't do anything on it. So Rick and myself, I, I picked this guy, Rick, who was a friend of mine in Canberra, who was a freestyle rider. I was more the racer, so I was luck that's why I was lucky to get this opportunity for japan okay and that japan trip was so successful that then we got the, the gig for indonesia and we laughed at this little kick pipe i went up it and just did this big foot plant about eight foot up on the wall and then back down onto it and the producer guys just gobsmacked and he goes so what do you want then for the thing and rick was joking he said build us a big half pipe in a, in a baseball stadium and they said let's do it within oh. within four days they had this massive 12 foot transition half pipe that was like 50 foot long with a big box. Did they? Jump. Did, do you have to tell them though? We had to, like, we had to draw it up in the room. We drew it up on napkins in the motel, and then they built it. We oversaw it, and they built this massive half. I've got I've got photos of it all, man, to show you. It was so cool. So we got to ride this 
think it was like a $30,000 half pipe that we got to design and ride in, in Indonesia. You, so you cool. must have... It was awesome. You must have been like, they're not going to do it. And then they're like, Rick okay. was joking. And they said, really? Show us what you mean. So we drew all these things up and that day they got straight. They and so they use that half pipe to film... <clears throat> To film. A commercial, which went two days of filming, and then yeah. it got just pulled down and taken to the tip. Just like that. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. But For chewing gum. Yeah, Lotte Chewy. And you know what? I never got to see the commercial. You haven't seen the ad? Never saw it. Never saw it. It went ahead. We know it went ahead because we'd... I'll go back 94. You couldn't just email it across. I wonder. That was the problem. Look, let's just... Let's for... I've, I've searched. I've you searched. have? Oh, Rick and I have searched and searched. Rick ended up getting a copy in a beta video and lost it. So I, no. I never got to saw it. Yeah. Beta Max video. Is so, that yeah. it? Is that the branding? Lotte? L-O-T-T-E? Yep. It's, it's still around. It's big. It's a big Indonesian brand, but it's in throughout Japan and China. And But I've, I've searched. I never got to I couldn't find it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is gnarly. Yeah. What so, um, yeah. is there anything else like that that you've done? Because obviously there's, you know, we've got 40 years worth of stories. We can't talk all night. But speak me a couple more like that that are pretty, pretty interesting. Obviously that's like, you know, up there gnarly. Is there anything else like that? Not really. Probably it. Probably a few it. little things here and there, but more logos. So I didn't travel internationally too, too much. much yeah. No. Not at all. Something just popped into my head. Uh, we talk, I think we were talking in the section that was cut out. Um, For 30 minutes without it recording. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of all the things... No, nah, don't. Oh, I should have thought about it too. It's also my responsibility as a host. But... <laughs> um, I don't know why it's just popped in my head, but you know, you never had coaching... Um, back then, you were saying like you just just writing these insanely um, insanely rigid, no suspension. Basically, what you know, some people would call like a Kmart bike, almost. You know what I mean? Like you, you look at it, skinny tires. Not not quality bike, wise, but styling, quality, style, styling yeah, wise, absolutely. not quality wise. Yeah, yeah totally. But style wise, you look at it, you know, straight top tube. The thing almost looks like a. A triangle. You had no coaches, but you did go on to coaching. I went, yeah, I went on to coaching, yeah. yeah. Um, what was that like the same sort of motivation as what you're doing behind the YouTube now? Or did someone hey did someone say, Hey, you should start doing this? I was getting everybody and it, it actually eventuated because I couldn't go to the track on a Friday night to the BMX track back in Canberra without parents coming up asking for help. Can you, yeah. you know, I started, I started helping Lee Darrell. I started training with Lee Darrell a little bit. Um, his dad wanted me to make him faster. Lee Darrell was a, a young junior, young kid who'd won a few world titles and then struggled for the first little bit getting into the rubbing elbows with some of the pros. Yeah. Um, he was just always used to being in front. So started sort of training with him a bit. He started getting a bit more aggressive and then people started wanting more coaching and with me. So it become a regular thing. Um, started doing a lot of coaching back in Canberra, but uh, so what year are we talking? Was this talking was this like unofficial before you set up your business with it? Because I know you had your. I set up the business because the coaching started. So yep. yeah, so I started coaching about two thousand. Coached for about eight years in Canberra. Um, yeah, and 
created a thing called Speed Tap, which was a talented athlete program. Oh, um, cool. I didn't know it was an acronym. Yeah, yeah. Well, we started out as Speed Spec. So speed-specific training. Yeah. So that's where I started the name. Obviously for race training. Yeah. Yep. Then we got involved with the AIS, and they created this talented athlete program that I was to coach me and Caroline Buchanan's dad, Laurie, and a guy called Wayne. Um, the three of us all worked together. I was the coach. Laurie was the organiser, and um, Wayne sort of oversaw everything and lined things up. And you know, yep. So the three of us worked really well. It was good. And then when the AIS part of it came into it with the Talented Athlete Program, I just changed Speed Spec to Speed Tap. And, you know... Right, as a spin-off of... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was... Yeah, and, and it went from that. And then, yeah, it just started... Uh, it got got pretty... I, I, I was coaching for free and parents were saying, no, no, you should be paid for this. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to avoid money. Money causes problems. Yeah. Okay. And sure as shit, the coaching lasted about a year after the money was involved and that was it. It just... It, the goalposts kept getting moved. Things started to get political. And um, I think you've got to have money because you've got to create a paper trail for security if somebody gets hurt. You know, but I had my first aid. I had my coaching certificate. The track had the insurance. I had my insurance. Everything was fine. I didn't want the money, and the money's what killed it in the end. So I just wanted you... to do it for free. No, maybe I won't touch my, it. My payment is watching somebody go from not being able to jump a double to jump that double and be stoked with themselves. That was my payment. Yeah, that's what it's a I, good feeling. I can't yeah. attest it. I'm still not the best at jumping, but if you look at six months ago compared to now, just from the, you know, few, you know, because we've ridden together heaps, but like I'm talking about like actual, you know. Stuff you don't see on video. Stuff you don't see, yeah. you know, on video. Maybe, maybe there's what, like two or three hours collective teaching I, I can't say how thankful i am because i have a very analytical mind and for me i i look at the trail top to bottom i look at my bike i'm like there is a step-by-step -step process on what to do with this bike to get the best out of it from a to b and like in same with the jump i'm like there's stuff to do on the bike and some people just learn it by doing it again and again and again like yourself like you did you know but now you've got this knowledge to pass it on it's gnarly to see how it like that little bit of knowledge changes the confidence and how everything feels Absolutely. like on a bike yeah it's nuts uh, and it's a good feeling and for me as a coach you know it's a great feeling and i'd get parents coming up to me and, and riders saying you know thanks you, you know for for making me a better rider and uh i i disagree with that i don't make anyone a better rider only you can make yourself a better rider all i can yeah, do is so is put into your head, know your capabilities and make you aware of them and make you push those limits. Only you can make yourself a better rider. I can't do that for you. That's all I can do is get inside your Listen head tools. and make you understand yeah. you and what you are on a bike so that you can utilize what you've got to become a better rider. And that's, that's my take. I can't make anyone a better rider. Uh, that's up to them, but I can get inside their head to make them realize they can become a better rider. Yeah. Well, obviously you are probably overanalyze a little bit, but no, no, but that's know. fine. But like you know, but that's that's where I think the the help side of things, you know, or the coaching side of things would have been, you know, so like you had such, you know, look at Harriet, you know, now like you mentioned that you coach Harriet Burbage Smith, and she, um, Jewel Slalom, uh, Speed and Style, back to back gold. She was one of the 
along oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but the the Kiwi girl that she just rode um Jenna Hastings. Uh no no, the, the other girl just rode dark she just rode Dark Fest, like her and the other Kiwi girl that were there. Martha? Is it Martha? Nah, I'll figure it out. But they were like two of the first women to, you know, you know, jump some of the biggest jumps there. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's gnarly and it's just because you like to see I've got a spot like this because this is the you no know, out of all the stuff this guy's achieved I think it's important to spot like he just loves to help people like I've seen we've been out on rides we've been out um, never has he anytime anyone's asked him a question he's always got time you know he's always you know got time to set up oh, even if it's just a chat, even if it's not directly something skills related, so I've got to give you kudos for that, man. Like it's cool that you just want to see people, you know, you just want to see people win on a bike, like absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's gnarly because it's, it's. I met some really nice people since I've been back on a bike, and I've met some questionable personalities. Yeah, there's, there's some out there, mate. There's some out there, and it just make. I just. I kind of wonder, like, why. Some are the way they are, but it just everybody's different, man. That's right, you know? exactly. But I, I have a theory too. I've always tried to stay really humble because just because I can do a bigger skid on a bike than somebody else, it doesn't mean I'm a better person. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And look at what you do. You, there's so many things you do outside of bikes that I'm jealous of. We've all got something. Do you know what I mean? And it really peed me off one day This in the old school BMX scene. I've chatted with this guy in Sydney a lot. Really nice guy. Hadn't met him in person. Was really keen to. Just a really nice dude, you know. And I went down to Sydney and raced at MacArthur VMX and Old School Grand Nationals. And when I got back home, we were chatting online. I was chatting to this guy. And I said, oh, he mentioned he was there. And I said, dude, why didn't I see you? Why didn't you come up and say, yeah? He goes, oh, I saw you. I came up and you were standing there talking to a couple of the other guys, these other fast riders. And he goes, oh, I didn't want to interrupt you. You know, I'm a nobody. You wouldn't want to speak to me. And it, it pissed me off. I said, are you fucking serious? Well, I said, are you serious, dude? I said, okay, I've fine. seen the way you play guitar. I'm jealous of you, man. I would have got on my knees and bowed in front of you. I said, just because I'm faster than you on a bike doesn't mean you're not better than me at something else. And we should never podium each other, no matter how good you are mm. at something. Yeah. You, you know, it, just don't ever act like you're better than somebody because you're not. You know, we've, all got our, we've all got our faults and we're all good better at each other at something so yeah. I always say just because I can do a bigger skid than somebody it doesn't mean I'm a, you know should be podium or better than them because they're going to have something that they're better at me at you know and it's, it just really made me real, realise then that don't judge people for who they are or what they can do you know judge them for who they are as a person yeah that's, well that, that's how I see it anyway that's oh, a good. That's a man. It's a yeah, good philosophy to have. I, I, I guess. 2014. I was 34. I raced. Oh, jeez. I was 44. I, I raced, was gonna say. I, I was like, raced, uh, hang on. That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I decided to race pro instead of age at the Lorraine Nationals, and I went in A pro class. And they're all young kids. They're all super fast. You know, 18, 19 year olds. I'm in my 40s. Totally snobby in staging in the first moto. Like didn't. One of them I knew. When you say so we first moto, what does that so mean? So BMX has, you have three motos, and then whatever position you get, you go points are added up, and then the what's top. Is, is moto short for a something? Race. It's okay, a race. Yeah. So you go, they go through the whole classes, moto one, then you go through them all again, moto two, and then moto three, and then the top 
16 go into semi-finals, top eight then go into the finals. You know what I mean? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and they just snobbed me. They didn't speak to me at all. And I, I won the first first race, first moto by about four bike lengths. And all of a sudden, come around and, you know, an hour and a half later for the next round of racing. It started to and they change, all start, eh? they all start to chat to you. It's like, and I remember sitting there going, I'm the same guy I was an hour and a half ago when you didn't even look at me. Now they want to talk to me and go, oh, man, you know how long you've been racing? You know? And it just it made me realise that people will judge you on what you can do and instead of judging you on who you are. And I, I just, I don't like that. Yeah. I didn't say anything, you know, but one of them asked how old I was and I said I was 44 and he goes, you're the same age as my mum. <laughs> and I said, I know I used to sleep with her in high school, mate. <laughs> and all, all his mates are just laughing and, you know, I, I just became one of them then, but it was just perfect, perfect comeback. I oh my it. gosh. <laughs> <clears throat> one liners, the things that I've heard you say just to get a laugh out of people, like, it just, oh, on that note, talking about things that make me laugh, the Ron, um, I, I don't think that's his full name, or Ron Ron, he said, ask him about riding with a shirt off. Why? Because I've seen the, like, you've posted photos of it. What is he referencing, though? Oh, I always get harassed for riding with I used to ride with a shirt off heaps. I'd go up in the rang, I'd ride on my own solo, just ride with no shirt on. Summertime, like, I grew up in Canberra. What about like, protection, Craig? <laughs> you run in the rain. You know, I have a rock. I want gloves on. No, I have one gloves. That's enough. When you grow up in Canberra, when your summers are in the 40s, dry heat, and as a teenager, you ride from one side of Canberra to the other, you'd ride in jumps all day, you'd build and dig, and yeah. and then you'd ride home. You didn't ride with a shirt on. None of us ever did. And I guess I just never changed that habit. I just, I'll say it right now, there is nothing better than a nice hot day going for a ride in the bush. With no shirt on, just go for a ride. Get out there and get the breeze. Yeah, yeah. There's not, nothing against nudity or anything like that. You know, I wear my shorts, shoes, socks, helmet, all that. It's just, I hate, I hate wearing crew necks. I hate collars. Yeah. I just, I love not having a shirt on. I just always, yeah. it's always who I've been. So, running. Nah. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I was like, obviously, there's some sort of. No, there's so, nothing I, I was like, it. okay, yeah. <clears throat> it's all, all the photos that. That we've seen. I mean, I even, it, it, but it goes back, you know, uh, 1989 National. Yeah, there's a photo. I raced National. Is that one of the down, ones that you sent me? I raced me down in... here without a shirt on, you know? Uh, what what, was just who what I was. would possess you on that, what we would, some people would call today, a heap of a bike to race down hills like that? I've got to see I told you. I, I, I raced to have care. fun. I, I, was, I was out there having fun, man. I didn't give a. You didn't care if your skin got... Oh, look... Yeah, and I if would... I'm going to crash, I'm going to crash. What's a jersey yeah, going to do? Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. You know... Well, that's why they're like... You look at... You know, we're talking about... Johnny and I were talking about shoes um, the other day. And like, you know, sometimes, you know, in a bit of single track, like a good MTB shoe could be the difference between you breaking your foot or not. Your toe or not. Absolutely. You know, but in a pair of bands. But then you see... You see the you know the guys at Rampage and some of the free ride for our boys just rocking vans and then exactly. that's like they're exactly. thinking and my yeah. head my head goes they must just be like well if I'm gonna if I'm gonna fall from thirty feet in the air while doing a whatever they're doing I don't think a shoe's gonna make a difference at that point people so they ride what they're comfortable in people would yeah. criticize Arnold Schwarzenegger for training in the gym with no shoes on. And he'd say, oh, I I, he'd say, do yeah. you really think 200 kilos of plates is, is going to, uh, I mean, do you really think a pair of sneakers is going to stop 200 kilos of plates on your toe? Oh, do I have no. a photo here? So, same scenario. Oh, I swore you sent me the photo. 
I don't have the photo. This is a cracker. Look at that. What, what, what? Hang on. Actually, no, 1990 Downhill Elite Men's National. You look like you are dwarfing that bike and you still got toe straps on. Hold up. Toe strap. <laughs> Let's see if I can. Do you know I've still got that Billabong jumper? I used to race. Is in it in one heaps. piece? Yeah, I used to race in that thing heaps. Eh? Did you have any? Did you have any sponsors there, or was it just? I, I, I used to turn down sponsorships. I used to get a lot of sponsorships. Look at that! Look at that! Yeah, no. I didn't like being sponsored. Because you just was well, it? Did it come back to? So you told me that money thing about the coaching. Oh, I need to get back to that coaching thing. You told me there was. <coughs> was it because you didn't ever want the money to taint your love for riding the no, bike? Nothing to do with that at all. Because obviously you needed money to do stuff. I didn't. If you've got a sponsorship, you've got to perform. You have to answer to somebody. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. I, I, I would have, if I was training my ass off and decided I want to be the best, yeah, I would have taken sponsorship because I knew I'd live up to the demand the sponsor required. Mm -hmm. But I was I was just living it, man. I wasn't, happy, you know, I wasn't yeah. interested in winning. I mean, I had that drive to win and I wanted to win. But if I didn't win, I didn't get upset because I never trained. I just... You're doing you know, it because you... But, but that part of me now is probably why I've got the drive I do because I realised I I didn't have the drive to win back then. I had the drive to have fun and race every race I could and do it to the best I could and go away laughing whether I was last or first. I was lucky enough that I did have a billet on a bike that, that helped me place fairly high, but it, my whole career could have been so much bigger if I trained, so much bigger. I just rode on... On stupidity and potential, not actual. It makes you know. me wonder, like, like. But I said, if I had a train, I might have given this up years ago. We wouldn't be here chatting because I probably would have moved on from bikes, you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Why though? Why? Why would adding in the? Well, most of the guys I raced back then don't ride bikes now, or they're just making a comeback now. You know, like they burnt themselves out. You can't train at at that, that sort of level. a level for your whole life. You can't do that. There's only there's only a they're one percenters, you know. Greg I know. Minner, how is he doing that? Because he can still win. But once you start stop winning, you stop training, you lose interest, you move on. You know, most of the guys I raced and hung out with back in the day. That's an anomaly. Like, well, there's a mate of mine, Steve Hewitt. He's been racing longer than I have on the BMX. Not mountain bikes, but BMX. Yep. That guy still goes to gym every day. He still goes to every race. He will train his butt off and... If he blows his gate and gets last in the finals, he will still come up with the, like, with the grin like he just won. He will manhunt everybody. He will congratulate everybody. He is the best athlete I know of. This guy just doesn't lose that motivation to want to be having fun racing and be the best that he can be. And he's just such a, an inspiration, inspiration to me. I just wish I had 1% of his drive and, and ability and... Man, I'd be a happy man if I could. The guy's just, he's one of the best people you'll ever meet, as far as best athlete you'll ever meet. You know, I know other guys at the same time that were also raced against Steve and I, who would train their butts off, be arrogant, egos, you know, and if they didn't win, if they got second behind me or Steve, yeah. they'll go to the car and go. They wouldn't even stick around for presentation. Wouldn't even shake your hand and say, well done. But Steve, he could train his ass off for a year for a national event and get beaten or stuff up and come last and still be the happiest man you've ever seen in your life. And it's such a rare talent. And he just keeps me thinking that, you know, he's, he's a one percenter. There's not many of them left. You know, most, most guys that trained at that level gave up in the 80s and moved on to something else when they stopped winning. Steve 
well, Steve never really stopped winning, but, you know, he's he's just, he's an inspiration to everyone, I reckon. That's the sort of athlete that we all need is somebody who wants to win but doesn't cry if they don't. Yeah, gotcha. It's hard because... Like, and you still majority... never beat me too, Steve, in case you ever watch this. <laughs> it's, it, it's hard, though, because, like, the majority of... You know, you don't meet a lot of people that are that are determined to win that are also okay with losing. Oh no! Like not whenever at all. I competed no, in everything, that's what I, mean. I it's hated, rare. hated the idea of losing. If I wanted to, if whenever I put my my hands or feet to a sport when I was a kid, you know, or a teen, I was like, I, I, I don't know another way to do it other than to try and be the absolute try and be an absolute monster and in in some ways i reckon in parts of my life that has been a downfall for me and it kind of makes sense in regards to you know training at that level how some people you know once they stop winning or stocking that they can't keep continue doing it because it was like they didn't find that middle ground or they didn't find a way to be content or happy you can't when the other side of it came because because to win and to be an absolute elite monster in yourself, let alone racing, it takes a particular type of workload. It totally does. I, towards the end of my racing career with, with the BMX, you know, I'd, I'd say to certain people, I'm just, I'm over it now. And they say, I'll just race for fun then. You know, don't, don't try and yeah, win. It's like, you, you don't get it. I, I mean, I could try and race for fun, but it's hard to explain with BMX. It's so different to mountain biking. It's so different to slalom and downhill and all these things. You know, when that gate drops, when that third beep is done and that gate falls, I become somebody that I would fear if I wasn't on the bike. Yeah. I don't give a crap who's in front of me. See, seriously, I'll take. I don't care if you're my best mate. If you get my way, I'll take you down. It's that simple. And I told that to Steve. I like that. Steve has said that to me. You are my biggest enemy for that 40 seconds on the track. But as soon as we cross that line, you're my best mate again, regardless of the outcome. Like and it's, you just can't explain. That's the thing with BMX, though. You know, you're like 110 kilos of, of power. You're like a tight rubber band waiting to be cut. You know, when you crash, you come down hard on the BMX, you're breaking 40 kilometers an hour down the first straight, jumping 10, 15 meter doubles, you know. And you've got seven other riders that are willing to take you down if you get in their way. It's... It's not a kid's sport that people think it is. BMX is more violent, more extreme than mountain biking will ever be. And I know people yeah. might argue that, but you're, especially today when no, you're riding hard-packed tracks, you're riding this little 20-inch bike with 60, 70 PSI, you're spinning your absolute butts off, and you've got all these other riders willing to take you down if you get in the way of them. Not only that, you've got massive jumps. You've got rollers. The slightest stuff up, and you come down... There's no forgiveness. There's no leaves. There's no soft dirt. You know, there's no sharp rocks to slice you up either. But, you know, BMX is just a, it's a nasty, aggressive, insane, adrenaline pack. You, you can't describe it. You know, like when I raced downhill, I could talk to myself. I could, I could, you know, talk to myself while I was in the downhill. I was going to say that. Amping yourself like, come on, get on, get, get that pen. With BMX, when that gate drops, you can't remember anything until you cross the line. You don't get a chance to, to talk to yourself. Do you think that other people, or... though, do you think that other people, sorry, just sorry. a question that popped to mind, do you think that other people, because that might be your experience, 
But do you think that other people operate in a different way? Or do you think the majority of the top races You're all have the top races are the same. You don't think. It's it's all instinct. Everything's instinct. If a rider gets in your way, you don't think, oh, oh, oh. You just instinctively lay the bike down a little bit and get around. You know, like Make there's it no. The way, yeah. It's just, it's 40 seconds of just sheer adrenaline. That's, you know, that's, that's exactly what it is. It is, it is an insane sport. It's really. It, yeah, I, I love BMX for those reasons. BMX is, and like I said too, downhill and all that, yeah, that's good, but BMX, you're jumping massive, massive doubles. You know, this big dude, like I'm talking pros, you know, six-foot riders on 20-inch on BMXs, it's psychotic, man. It's just hard to fathom. you you really got to watch a BMX race, a good pro race, to truly see where I'm coming from. With it. I it's, also think what would be helpful is like, because people... It, it, uh, this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring Craig on here is to give perspectives <coughs> on this because um, Formula One is like one of the biggest things in the world because it's so sick to look at and watch in the way that it's marketed. Right? When you watch a, a bike race, the reasons that it's intense and crazy and aggressive and, you know, uh, you know, coming into a turn, a rider's got to lay a bike down to come out of that turn first. It's so hard to see that. It's so hard to see from like just watching it what makes it crazy. So I'm hoping that, you know, Craig giving perspective like this, you know, to all, you know, the different bike sports that we've talked about just shows like how nuts, like some of the feats, like what you've achieved yourself, what, you know, races go through, you know, what pro free riders go through, you know, even, you know, down the trials, like how crazy it actually is. And aggressive like some of the speeds the distances the power like that 40 seconds that you say i've never heard that perspective because when i look at a bmx race i know there's a lot of skill involved but i don't know the ins and outs of what's happening yeah so that exactly. gives me like a <clears throat> another like it's like i'm like that would that if you weren't switched on that'd be a bad place to be in Absolutely, and I, I meant no respect to mountain bikers when I said it. You know, mountain, no disrespect. Yeah. Yeah, 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 like, but understand when you're going down a hill on a mountain bike at 60, 70 kilometers an hour, it's just that, you. It's that's not. psychotic, though. But what you crash on are things that aren't moving. Now, with BMX, you're still doing similar speeds to a lot of the downhill yeah. trails. Imagine, imagine a downhill trail that is as wide as a road, and there's seven of eight of you at once. Imagine just a, a top eight going down a hill, first one to that finish line, a 40-second downhill run. Like picture that, a wide, like a wide road with um, the terrain that we ride on, rocks and, you know, All the jump. stuff, yep. Imagine eight riders, like an all-in, like, be, a, like a mass downhill. Chaos. A mass downhill, but only eight riders and 40 seconds long. That's when things are put into a different perspective, and that's what BMX is. That would is. be Chaos. Exactly. So with BMX, you can never predict what that rider next to you is going to do. Most of the time, you don't might even not know you're there, and you know, do a little flick out in the in the air because that you've got to do that. You've got to own the bike in the air, like I've told you before. Yeah. Uh, you hit that rider, bang, they they go down, and you're doing 40, 50 kilometers an hour. It's... Someone showed me a crash, um, not long ago, and. It was just a rear, like a, a rear wheel flick, which put him onto the top tube, and then because he had no feet down, he shot out of the lip of the next double, and a guy crashed onto the back of him and landed on his head. That's bad. And like, 
and, and then off the back of that like two person incident, it pretty much cooked the whole race. The other two guys, the two guys that were like out in front, front rode away. Cool. Yeah. But like the the pile up from that moment, I was like, that dude got to be dead. Like he literally had the guy jump in the double from behind him that got clipped up in his wheel before he went over and had his big stack. The guy landed on his head. Yeah. I was like, he's got to be dead. Oh, it's like it's scary, and there's a bigger risk there. But they're all all risks. The faster you go, the more you're at risk, no matter what the sport is. You know, even dual slalom nowadays is so quick that you look oh, at that going, was crazy to watch a crash to Maywald over the berm, broke his wrist. You know. Just uh, G'd so out, yeah. All, all the, when you're at that elite level like that, all riders... Another crush, another crush Oz rider. Exactly right. But all, <laughs> all riders are at risk. But, yeah, BMX, BMX does take it. But, you know, I think I I didn't lose the nerve. I, I don't think I could ever lose the nerve. I just... Nah, it's there, 100%. I just... Yeah, just... We'd been doing it for so long, it was time. And, yeah, I'm just yeah. enjoying riding my mountain bike now. I'm loving it. Well, it's funny... Even though it's a different scenario, there's a trail we ride, and um, it's on my personal YouTube channel. If you, in the comments, want to know about it or, like, see the trail, you, we were filming for the review for your Liat um, Enduro 2.0 helmet. Yep. You came over the lip off the first shoot. Oh, and I, you didn't okay. tell me you're gonna jump it. Yeah. Now this shoots. I mean, it's not like this. It, it ain't you know like North Shore or anything, but it's pretty steep. There's a couple of. It's been ridden a bunch of times now, and at that stage, there's a, a few jagged rocks. It's not that wide. Like if you if you go like half a foot off, you're probably gonna clip your bars on a tree. All I heard was the whoosh of your tires in that last turn into it, and he aired out of it. And, but when he came over the. This is like how my head takes in information. When he came over, the split second, his eyes were straight down on where he's going. He's, I don't know what it was, but he chopped through two branches on a tree and they just exploded and flew off in the air. He had no clue it happened. And in the footage, you <sighs> But I think that that's that same, like, you're like, I got the skills, pay the bills. This I'm going to write it for this review. Like, this is, this is how I want to write the section. Bang. And like, I've, it was one of the most nuts things like I've ever oh, seen. I, I planned on doing it, but well, yeah, but but I was nervous. Like, don't think I just did it going. Hey, oh yeah, yeah. I like. But I knew I could do it. I knew I knew exactly. But what I, I think that's that land. same animal. Like, mm. I think that's the same. You know, um, so what was the word you just used? The same switch. The same. Um, uh, yeah, like it's still that same thing, but it's applied in a different setting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like. You might not have had, you know, you might not be in the middle of a pack of eight guys, but holy hell, it doesn't, it only takes a few millimetres of mistake for you to fold yourself and then fall down a 20 foot shoe. Yeah, but then again, it goes back to what I was saying at the start of this too, is that was my fault if I crashed because there's nothing moving. Yeah. So if I hit something, it's because I fucked up, you know. That's why you like bikes. And that's that's exactly right. That's, yeah, and that, that's the whole fun about it. But yeah, this it's is why still... skills, the skills though, sorry, you go. No, no, that's not. The skills are so important, eh? I think not as important as your own confidence because without that, there is no skill. And that's what I've been trying to work on with you. Yeah. With you or not work on, but point out with you is you're never going to get better if you can't first. People always try and become better riders before they become more confident in themselves. And that's a recipe for disaster. 
do you you've got to get your own confidence built up before you expand on what you can do on a bike. Otherwise, you're going to do an ass about face and it's going to hurt. Do you believe the skills, though, bring a level of confidence as well? As you learn how totally to do things correctly? totally agree that you correctly? can't build your confidence unless you're achieving new yes, things yes, on a bike. Yeah, but yeah. to first initiate that and get it happening, you have to you've believe got to yourself. believe in yourself first. Yeah. Otherwise, nothing's ever going to happen. If you believe in yourself and you go and do something, you're going to be so pumped. You're going to go and do it again, and it's going to be easier. All of a sudden, your confidence is just, you know, you always notice your progression physically on a bike. You never mm -hmm. realize the confidence grows with it. You don't see that part of it. The confidence follows the skills, but you don't get the skills until you first get the confidence. And from there on in, confidence is just the passenger. The skills are doing all the work, and your subconscious mind, your confidence, it's always growing behind you, always. If you never try something new, you know where I'm going with that? Yeah, Do something yeah, on yeah. the bike today you never did yesterday. That I was like, I've got to let him finish. <laughs> that improves your skills but builds your confidence. Without you, you know you're improving your skills because you know you just did that jump you've never done before. But you don't realise your confidence is also growing with that. And I think that's the important part is yeah. always set new boundaries. Doesn't have to be anything big. Yeah. Just going back to you saying me jumping that, that thing oh, clicking the tree. So insane. I, I looked halfway down. I could see that little root. That was my landing. So that was yeah, my focus. It's, it's that little root is right after the if you there's a rock that sticks out and into the thing and and if you're going to ride it down you've got to stay left of that yeah but that little root comes right after the rock if you clip that rock oh, it wouldn't be nice it would not be no, nice i knew i had to, had to get the root not the rock but, so but again and that confidence that was something i've never done before so i know my confidence would have been next time we go riding somewhere at toowoomba or, or wherever and there's something similar i go oh yeah i've done that before something similar. Yeah. you know everything mimics something else it yep. doesn't have to be the same trail. If you do something that you've never done before, the next place you go is going to have something similar. Terrain is terrain. They're all follow similar. you just got to remember, like a drop-off. It doesn't matter where that drop-off is. A drop-off's a drop-off. No, drop-off's a drop-off, man. That's There's different variations line, yeah. of landings, but the transition can vary, but the skill is the same. The technique is the same. You know? Yeah. And you always got to remember that, and that's where your progression and your confidence grows. Well, there's two examples of that. Um, Can I just cut you off for a second? I can't believe that GoPro's gone for two 40-plus minute runs without overheating. It's pretty good. Hero 8's still the rocker for sure. I mean, for that anyway. Yeah. But it's it's pretty nuts. Um, and considering the old Lumix couldn't couldn't stand for 15 minutes. But that's probably I, I a technological that, I was wondering thing. why that red button's permanently on. I realise it's not. That's, that's heat. That thing's so hot it's glowing red, but... It's still What's recording. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, bro. I'll be like, no, nah, I'm done. We'll keep doing another night. No, nah, it's still going. In <clears throat> touching on that uh, that thing with the confidence, two examples I can give of that. Um, I've forgotten the first one because you just made me laugh. But the second one, Robbo's we did. I've got a video coming out. Um, tomorrow, which you'll see. Um, oh no, I've, let me do the first one first. Remember the day we were just doing a, a jump session and I crashed and I had to chuck my bike and dive over yours? And I told you, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm feeling, so I'm just happy to film for you. Yeah. Because you need to get the stuff for the. Oh, it was the same day yeah, you, jumped same, yeah. the, you jumped down the, the pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're like, all right, you're going to go do it again. And I was just like, nah. You're like, we are not leaving and I am not filming until you go and do it again. Because And I... then you sit and I was like, all right. 
And then I went back up, and it was annoying because the the thing that this is I'll get over this mental block at some stage. I crashed, and I was like, I know I can do this jump. It was a pussy crash too. It was, it was so like, dumb. It was off to the side. It wasn't a big crash. It just got loose, went sideways on the grass. And crashed because yeah. my bike was in the way. So it wasn't... Yeah, I was ready to ride it out. I was like, oh, I'm not going to run over his yeah. bike. And chucked over the thing. And then you but... let that get to your head. Why? Yeah, and then I went back up and did it. And and not that I just do the table, but I did the the double as well. And then I looked back at you. But that, that look back, I was like, <laughs> that little that little bit of attitude... No, I can do it. That's the part you got to lean into. And that's what I try to push the most. And the whole and reason I, I made yeah. you go back, you didn't want to. And I, no, I didn't. I honestly because didn't. I was having a big stalk. You, you let a, a crash happen that wasn't because you were doing everything at your fullest ability. It was a little screw up. Yeah. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with your ability. Your, your, your ability was well beyond that. You just made a little mistake. Yeah. Okay. If I knew that was your ability and I thought, oh, this is not a yeah. good idea, I wouldn't have made you go back up. But you would have stopped yourself right there, which was stupid because it was a little mistake. It wasn't you've maxed out your ability and you can't go any further. That's bullshit. And yeah. I knew that you didn't even – I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. The world's best make mistakes. It's not that their ability can't go any further and that's why they crash. No, we all make mistakes. Yeah. And that's all that was. And I had to make you go back up and redo it so to you remind yourself that. that you do have that ability. That yeah. was just a little – you just went a little bit stiff. You went a little bit sideways. <laughs> yeah. A little bit gumby. We all do that, and you've got to accept that sometimes. It's you know, it's it's, it's not a part of it's a part of it's progression, learning. man. It's yeah. progression, but sometimes important things, like I said, it's the confidence. And well, you, this is what I wanted to lead back to with using myself as an example, because obviously, you know, the, the direct link there is like, you know, he's been teaching me a, a bit of stuff, but that confidence, like, confidence I, is king, mate. It's the next king. time I went back there and did it. Uh, three times in a row, yeah. first go. Yep. Because I, you, you broke the mold, mate. After the, the third time, I was like, I sat, I went back up, I sat there, and I, I realized like my head had gone to like a different space around it, and I was like, that's what he meant. That yeah. head space, that's what you meant. Yeah. Because the skill is the 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 practical. When I'll say, the practical skill of doing the particular things on the bike is the same. Totally. Or I always say your your physical ability on a bike always exceeds what your mental ability will allow. It's a safety net in your mind. It's a subconscious safety zone. What makes one athlete better than the other? They're not born with it. Nobody's mm. born a better bike rider than the other. It's one's willing to push the boundaries of his own subconscious mind. capabilities. Yeah. And that's why, like I never made it big, big time, but I got to where I did by having well, 20 surgeries. You know, because... I was the one that nobody went before me. When we made a big jump over a gully, I was the one that had to try it. So I, had, <laughs> I had wanted to, to try it. You can't totally, tell. You're but, a bit of a nut. But person. I was scared, but I still pushed because I, I I, would rather go home bleeding. I think I might have said this to you. I'd rather go home bleeding from a crash than to be going home angry because I didn't try it. I hate going home going, oh, man. Well, this I'm, is why I'm, I'm literally it? covered <laughs> in stuff right now. I'm just you've like... got to risk it deep, the biscuit, man. And you know what? <laughs> you've yes. got to, if, if you want to, you know, every time I ride a bike, you, people see certain things. They just go, oh, it's so flowy, natural, whatever. I don't people think. But they don't realize how many times I'm shitting myself. But I'm pushing yeah. myself. I'm still pushing my own boundaries every ride. I don't do all that stuff. When we go riding, I don't do it. Natural ability with my eyes closed. You hit you hit super stag blind. 
Yeah, and I was shitting no, myself. And it was wet. And I was shitting myself. But oh, I, yeah, it's the fir- actually, that's the first time I've ever heard a bit of, oh, in your voice. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah. I want to do the big ones now as well because I want to push my boundaries more still. I'm, I'm, I'll will. never stop. You and will. that's, you know, you've got to, people are worried about crashing so they don't do these things. I'm worried about crashing, but I try them. I'll hurt myself occasionally, but if only you knew how, like I think I've had, over, we were talking about this with my wife the other night, I've had added up over six months in hospital in my lifetime from bike riding. Oh, my gosh. But I sit here now. I don't creak in the mornings. I get up. The body works. I'm more, I reckon I'm as good now on the bike as I was 30 years ago. So I've gone through all those trials, all those tribulations, all those mental blocks. People don't see me going home at night and, like, back in the day and crying because I couldn't get something done or angry or frustrated or, They just see this. They just see yeah. me the next day doing it or trying yeah. it or whatever. But it, we all, we're all the same animal. We're all the same breed, but some like to push those boundaries. I have a fear of heights. Um, somebody else. So can, go do big line. Yeah. Somebody has a fear of heights. They won't go near the balcony on a building. I'll hang over it a little bit because I like that gut, that, you know, the balls to the gut feeling you get with that fear. I like to push my fear boundaries. Some people don't even want to go near those fear boundaries. So having yeah. a fear of heights and going near a balcony versus having a fear of heights and hanging over one, that's the difference between becoming a good rider and never getting better at all. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. You've got to push your fear to become a better person in life in, or better athlete, I should say. Um, if, you, if you notice me dating off just here, it's because I'm like a... Uh, <sighs> People that know me and know me well know that I like when, when I hear stuff like this. I like my brain is mulling about probably how I'm going to apply it to my life and me as a person. So if it looks like I'm dozing out or falling asleep, like it's because I talk too much and I'm full of shit, something like that. <laughs> no, it's honestly because like you know, I I think there are people in our lives that we can learn from, and I think there's going to be a lot of stuff in this video that people can be able to take. You know, take from, but continue. Oh well, that's that's pretty much it. I just wanted yeah. to say, don't you know? <clears throat> let, let's use um, the flow trail at Narang, the Congo, the last section. Oh, you I know, love it. Um, people are scared of that, the jumps and things. But like I said, if you're always going to be scared of it, you're never going to become better. And that means, are you really ever going to start enjoying it more? How you've you, capped, you've capped your enjoyment level. If you're yes. only ever going to be this rider, you're only ever going to enjoy it that much. You know, but if you start getting better over the time, your enthusiasm, your motivation, your keenness, it yeah. all grows with it and it becomes a, a drug then. So you've gone from just this hobby to becoming this drug where it's you've got this new passion in life and it's fucking awesome because it's scary. Your adrenaline, you know, you, you get yep. goosebumps on your arms. You're scared. You've got to try this jump. But always remember too, if you're looking at it, you're willing to do it, but you're scared, it means you can, you're just scared. I always say, you know, if I look at something and go, no, I'm not interested, that means I'm not interested. But if I'm sitting there contemplating it, it means I know I can do it. I'm just scared to try it. You said directly like referencing, fight your fears. You've got the skills, just fight your fears. It's your fears that's holding you back, not your skills. There's literally, I think just before I like put my foot on the pedal to hook down Robos for the first time. And it's... Yeah, it's it, a drug, it makes sense. It, it, oh, the other thing it's I was going to say, oh, yeah, it is big time. That 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 stoke 
chasing that stoke is a oh, very real that's, thing. That's why, I, that's why I'm still loving my mountain bike right now because of my mindset is get the stoke. I'm 53, I'm 54 this year, and I'm on this bike. I've got full control of it. I'm doing 40 plus kilometers an hour down a trail this wide with trees at each end. Trees, rocks, boulders, jumps, the, the, the lot of it, yeah. The adrenaline in that and the, the noise of those tires pinning off those rocks. It's the best, eh? It's, it's so good. It's the next best thing, next best adrenaline so you'll ever get on a bike to, to BMX racing is, without a doubt. It's just Man, hearing the suspension work. More, but oh. I'm pushing, if, if I just roll down there and just roll to my capacity, I don't enjoy that. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I really hated this. I always get this a lot when you go riding. A lot of people say, oh, you're a show-off. And why am I showing off? Every time I ride, I like to do what I can do on a bike. And I like to try things I haven't done. Or I'll see something, I want to try and gap that or something. Your little rear tie taps on trees. I don't care what you think. You, you see it as showing off. I see it as challenging myself. That's yep. uh, And fine-tuning what I can do. So not just something new, but even things I can do, like... You know, when we're street riding, you know, I'd do a 360 off a wall or something and people are showing off. No, it's me making sure I can still do it. Or if I've never done it before, it's me making sure I can do it. Yeah. It's me becoming better every day. And, and I, uh, that's like that saying that I finished my videos with, it didn't come by chance. Do something on that bike today that you never did yesterday. It doesn't mean go and try a freaking backflip. It means just, <laughs> it just means Tell simply, big nuts that. <laughs> if there's a trail you ride that's got a, four, a rock here and a rock over there four feet away, just yeah. try and manual it. Just try and we're talking something that you could do with no feet with your eyes closed, but if you've never done it before, do it. You just added something new to your resume of abilities. Oh, I can't you know? wait to be back on a bike, man. It's it's this is gonna yeah. drive me nuts in a good way. Little things lead to big things because it's every every big item is made up of small particles, right? Yeah. It's the same with your riding. Every trail you ride has to be built of little things. So just doing these little things all the time adds up to just it all adds up to this big improvement on how you ride a bike and then realizing your confidence is growing with it that's that to me well that that's how i ride that's how i see things and i'm, I'm learning every day still i'm always setting challenges every day yeah. there's there's a, a part down um, <clears throat> that was one of my deep thought moments there I'm, I'm gonna zoom in on it so you can see it but yeah that was a deep thought moment oh my gosh 53 minutes and something the gopro is still going that's crazy there anyway, you know. yeah, well, I think we've covered it all. Anyway, just talking crap now, but oh no, but this is like this is the juice of it, though. Yeah, like uh, some uh, some of my favourite subjects are hundred percent going to come come from this, but like, yeah. But some but, people like I've I've had a lot in my life. Oh, you're you're lucky. You're natural on a bike. You have got natural ability. Nah. Bullshit. If you saw my build when I was racing against these other guys and I still managed to stick it to them. Now keep going, because I'm just going to bring up a I, photo. I pushed myself to do that. It wasn't, nothing was natural. I've had all these surgeries because I tried things I couldn't do to make, yep. to, and I kept doing it. I didn't just crash once and hurt myself and then give up. I tried again and crash again, back in hospital again, back in hospital. There I he kept is. going until I could do it. There he is. That was 1982. I was 12 years old there. <laughs> That's probably. Bit, <clears throat> uh, is it, would you call this Skinny Craig or is this post Jim Craig? No, hey, geez, that's that's ninety four, mate. That's pre. That's that's that pre Jim. All right, so this is um. That's the national Jewel slalom. Oh, this yeah. would have been the national, first the one. first first one that you cleared that we we're talking about before. Yeah. 
with my wheel. That's on the wheeler that I broke at the Slalom same year at in Sydney Moore Park. Sydney Moore Park Reebok. Look at this. Look at this little. Look at this beast. I don't know how well you'll be able to see that. Maybe I'll cut it in as well. But oh, the toe straps in that photo get me. What were you doing? What were you doing there? God, I can't remember, dude. <laughs> can't remember. That was, is sick. That was a jump comp. At the I used indoor. this. I used this in a story too. So dope. Man, I think we've covered a ton of stuff. I think it worked out in the end after blabbing on oh. for ages without the camera recording, but it's always hard to pick it up from there because you don't know where you stopped. I think at some stage, peeps, I want to talk more mindset stuff with you, and maybe that's something we can do in front of a camera too. Cause... So what feedback people give, do they want to yeah. hear more? I think I believe motivation is so important, and I yeah, I, I thrive on that. Yep, 100%. Did we shoot, we shoot an outro? We did that already. We did? We did that just in case the camera stopped again. Just in line. case the camera we died again. The outro. So the outro was done about 40 minutes ago. Oh, actually, it was done nearly an hour ago. It's like some of my videos, the intro is done at the end of the ride. Yeah. So no, was... you actually do that a bit. Yeah. yeah. You actually do that a bit. All right. Well, uh... oh, well again, look, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's, it's good. Thanks for being on. Man. And I'm using this myself, hopefully, as the same tool as I use on my own videos is to hopefully motivate others to want to get out there and ride like listen to other people talk about their challenges it makes me want to get out there and smash it you know and mm. I'd like to know that I could be that person that motivates others to get out there as well but don't ever expect a cruisy ride if you want to get better you've got to work you, for you, it you've got to expect that you might crash every now and then but if you've got the right gear protection these days is so darn good yeah, you know, if you don't if you don't want to get hurt, don't ride mountain bikes. It's, it's don't simple. do much. Don't, don't leave your front door. I heard chess is pretty big these days. Huh? Chess. If you don't want to get hurt, go for <laughs> Chess is go so hard. hard. Do you know what the most dangerous sport in the world is? More deaths, more members die. I hope this is right. It's true. More members die in this sport than any other sport in the world. Here we go. Dead true fact. Lawn bowls. No way. Yeah, because they're all old people. They'll die, not necessarily oh. on the field, but they lose more people to death than any other sport in the world. More members die. So we don't need to put that one in. That's a, that's a true fact. It would not true have fact. been, it would not have been a official guest appearance on the Fully Pin podcast without you telling something that's not a joke, but somehow making it funny. Oh my all right, I'm going to cut that outro. <laughs> right. Man, that was a gnarly time. That was a gnarly chat. I'm still... Oh, man, there's so many questions. This could literally go on for hours and hours and hours, but I just want to thank Craig for his time and having me in his home and having us around. We apologise for the uh, camera kerfuffle. Uh, these things do happen sometimes with tech, but uh, the Fully Pin podcast is very happy. You were requested by a few people, which is cool, to I come on when, when I put a poll that. up. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't even see the poll. Oh, it's... Oh, the page, the page you is still... from it, you fucker. I don't think I did. <laughs> but yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm stoked to be part of it. And also, I love your drive. I love your passion. I love what you're doing. I think Thank you. these things are awesome. And I'm, I'm stoked to be part of this. And, you know, if 
if me being on it can gain another one or two viewers, let's do it. You know, yeah, thank let's, you. I appreciate let's get it that. Growing, the fully pinned podcast, it's it's, <laughs> it's got talented, you know, Johnny the G, um, Jack Drury, uh, Jack Drury on there. Like, there's so many more big names to come. I think what Josiah is doing is bringing these guys who are known but not known enough to That's the, what the I would big like screen, to do, yeah. is put some of these really... The, the, the country, this state, Queensland, and the whole country, is full of some amazing riders, mm. but they're never going to get noticed unless they go and win a big national or a big cannonball event or... You know, and I, I think that's really hard because the media only focuses on the big, big, big names. Some of these guys have just got more talent than some of the big names. They just don't travel or race. And I believe that. I think what you're doing is awesome to bring these names more to the screen. So, yeah, props to you for doing so, man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. It's definitely something, like, that I want to do because I, I've there's a lot of these guys that I'm very privileged to ride with, like yourself, and, like, obviously been in a room with such history. But there's so many, you know, I just think, you know, there's so many interesting stories out there, and especially in this little community of guys and people that I met. Like, I've got Shannon on next for AMS. Um, you know, Matt Darcy. Uh, yeah, Matty D. We're getting you on here, boy. You're, he you're wants on, to come on, on and we, we've been chatting a bit, and no, he's very fond of me. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity out there, and I yeah. appreciate your kind words. But yeah, Fully Pin Podcast Ep Three. With Fisho, Clementum MTB, Craig Fisher, the man himself. Thank Check it out. Me. Channel 9, Red Bull TV, Fully Pin Podcast on all of them. Oh. Stay tuned soon. <laughs> Bro, you know it. I back myself. If you know me, I back myself. It can be big. It's going to be big. Sweet. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Legend. Boom. Thank you. All good. <laughs> Did you just break it? Yeah, off? fuck it. That'll do what it. was that? What was Nancy, that? Nancy fingers, mate. Nancy oh, fingers. yeah. Or actually... Yes. Is this where we do like the newscasting? <laughs> Shuffle the, the folders and well, uh, talk, yeah. talk bullshit. Oh, thanks. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to put this. Uh, uh, put this. Oh, yes. Oh, I just man. thought I'd. Uh, uh, yeah. Hang on, let me just get. Oh, would you just. Check this fucker's pockets. You'll take all my stuff. Huh? Take what? The Fully Panned Podcast.